Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I can't wait for the sequel, The Eve Project. <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. I'm, I'm still recoiling from that one. <laughs> Remember, kids, be sure to let strange men into your house with bullet wounds. Like, just let them right in. Let them right in. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. If I got to go back in time and meet my 11-year-old self, I would also try to convince him that I grow up to be Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> Those are, of course, all extremely oblique and vague references to the fact that today we're going to be reviewing The Atom Project, the new movie that's on Netflix, directed by Sean Levy, starring Ryan Reynolds. It was also the number one movie on Netflix this past weekend, as far as I can tell. The, the closest thing we have to a blockbuster in the streaming age. Yeah, yeah. So we just we had nothing better to do collectively as a society. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk more about that. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com and support this podcast at patreon.com slash film podcast. I want to give a, a brief programming note. First of all, uh, we mention it every week, but you can use the hashtag slash tag to recommend stuff for us to watch. Sometimes that stuff does make it into the main show. As you will learn Super about useful. today. We love yeah. it. The other thing uh, that I want to mention is next week, um, I want to tell you what we have in store. We are going to be reviewing A24's newest film, After Yang, uh, which is available right now streaming on Showtime. I also think it's in limited release in theaters. Mm -hmm. And for our After Dark, we're going to be taking a look back at Koganada's film Columbus next week. So that's what's in store for the podcast next week. Just declaring it up top. If you want to hear our After Yang review, just stay tuned to the main feed and sign up for exclusive After Darks at patreon.com slash filmpodcast to make sure you get our Columbus retrospective. That's on the podcast for, for sure. next week. It's going to be a Koganada, all Koganada all the time next week on the Take podcast. Take that blank check. Like Ain't we're doing no his, entire, like his entire work. Yeah. Yes, the entire works of the last six years. Um, yes. ne next week we're reviewing After Yang, which of course means this week we're reviewing Yang. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're, I mean, we're just nonstop with the amazing zingers today. You know, like this, this podcast off to a great start already. Great so. start. <laughs> uh, and of course, before our review of The Adam Project tonight, we got some what we've been watching and some weekly plugs for you. But first, got to mention a couple things that have been happening in the film world. One big thing in particular, which is that William Hurt passed away this weekend, uh, which is very sad because uh, the man was obviously enormous, enormously talented, was nominated multiple times for Oscars, um, won, and uh, mm -hmm. left a uh, really legacy of acting excellence in his wake. Yeah. Give, give him five minutes in the movie and he will turn it around. You know, I'm thinking of a history of violence there. Yeah. He's also uh, yeah. one of the few people to be in a Marvel film as the same character pre-Marvel Studios and post-Marvel Studios. Um, <laughs> he played uh, what, Thaddeus Ross. Is that what his name and was? General Ross. General yeah. Ross. Um, in, the, uh, in The Incredible Hulk, then went on to reprise that role in later Marvel films. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought we could take a minute to just talk about some of our thoughts on William Hurt. Um, so Devendra, I think you were saying broadcast news, one of your favorites, right? I love broadcast news. That's I think, incredible. um, yeah, I saw that when I was in high school and that was one of those movies that just kind of blew my mind because of how multi-layered it is and how nuanced it is and how great his performance is too. Like he is in that movie. He is a guy who kind of knows he's not that smart, right? Like he, he knows his limits and it's just kind of fascinating to see him kind of like work the system 
of a uh, media to to you know rise above and i always like seeing him in things and uh you know what this was sad news to me and then then i started reading about william hurt and i also learned that he's a huge piece of shit so <laughs> i'm just putting that out there um there there there's apparently there was a lot of reporting going on about him and his relationship with marley matlin in uh in the 80s and yeah yeah credible credible reports of rape a lot of bad things like he was just not a great guy apparently and it really made me think of like the culture shift right like that that stuff wouldn't stand today i guess but in the 80s everyone was like well he has a drinking problem he's working through it and he still has a healthy you know decades worth of careers ahead of him um just kind of wild to me so i appreciate his talent i'll always love his work but man I, I certainly think very differently of him now. Yeah, there is an article of the Daily Beast that received widespread coverage this past week uh, entitled, When Marley Matlin Accused William Hurt of Sexual Assault. Yeah. A 2017 um, article, by the way. Yeah. So this is not new. Yeah. So we should say that uh, I will discuss this topic obliquely right now. Um, uh, so if like consider this a content warning. Uh, but suffice to say, this Daily Beast article uh, that you should check out if you're interested in learning more about the subject details a lot of the things that were outlined in Marley Matlin's uh, book, I'll Scream Later, and how uh, William Hurt was very abusive to her in a way that was uh, pretty horrifying, like if you, if you read the allegations. Um, and it got me to thinking about how we talk about people like this when they pass away, because the the public mourning the mourning process become really social and public these days right when when somebody of high profile passes away uh i don't know about you all but my social feeds are often inundated with mm -hmm. people remembering them praising them saying why they're awesome and so on and so forth and then also um people sharing about things that weren't so honorable about them and i i'm of, i'm of two minds of it you know i think that on the one hand uh i think it is very important to try to accept people in their fullness. And what I mean by that is like people are complicated and they do great things and also horrifying things. And it is important to keep all of those things in mind when you think of someone, I think like to not put people in a box and assume they can only be great or only bad or they're only evil. Um, but also I think that at the same time that that's true, uh, you know, somebody at the, um, on the Slack filmcast, uh, put it really well uh, that in, in a way that I, I feel like kind of nails my opinion on this. He says, quote, it feels odd that this stuff isn't brought up during their time alive and during movie releases starring them. Um, William Hurt has been in countless movies and I never saw anyone bring this up until he's passed. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm also blind to it being brought up though, uh, but I don't recall during MCU movies or Oscar season or anything that this is being brought up. It's good that it gets brought up, period, hard stop. At the same time, it does feel like whenever some celebrity dies recently, there's a quick race to dig up the dirt and be like, don't care about this death too much. Like people earning props for calling this out only when he died. I think there's a middle ground. Call this shit out when alive and remind people there's a chance for the truth to come to light for sure. But during a time of mourning for family and friends, it seems a little odd in its timing to jump to condemnation for something that never came to light. It's always hand in hand to the death announcement. And again, doesn't always seem genuine in raising awareness, more like trying to earn Internet points for spotlighting it. Just my two cents. End quote. I don't um, know about that, but OK. Yeah, I mean, I don't fully agree with with no. that statement but i think that uh there is this idea of 
Like the sacred time when everyone's in mourning. After yeah, yeah, somebody, exactly. Yeah. I don't agree. Yeah, I don't yeah, agree yeah. that there's like a sacred time that we can't like talk about right. these things. Um, but I do think that like in tone, mm-hmm. um, some of the reactions are very like sort of dunking for internet points in a way that does make me uncomfortable. That's all I mean, saying. yeah, it's the internet, so people are yeah. gonna take things in either way. But this is a thing that the entire industry knew about since the '80s, right? And people yeah. joked about it. People talked with. Uh, when Marley Matlin was like interviewed by people, they would refer to her like tempestuous relationship with William Hurt and her, her translator, you know, saw some horrific scenes with her. It's just, it is one of those things that makes me really mad about the state of our culture. How I, I think he's a, he was a great actor, but it is infuriating that nothing happened there. And then I think to like, you know, Things are a little different now. Like it's shocking that anybody has faced consequences after Me Too, but it's still infuriating. So right now, yeah. I am in a state of rage. Um, certainly sad he died. I'm more angry. We weren't really talking about this before constantly. Yeah, there, there were allegations that prob- that would have been career ending if they happened today, most likely. Right? Um, they are very shocking and upsetting. So, uh, and I, I agree with you, Devendra. Like, I, I don't think it's like there's no time to talk about this or anything. I was just referring to kind of. The tone yeah, of that yeah. kind of talk, yeah. Um, but I agree. Like we—that's what I'm saying—is like we should accept people in their fullness and for the totality of what they did, not just the nice things, not just the good things. So, mm-hmm. anyway, um, Jeff, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the topic, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I uh, listened with interest to the debate you guys were having or the discussion you guys were having it, and I agree. Uh, you know, I agree with both sides. I mean, it's. <sighs> he was he was an actor that i greatly admired uh, for a long time and and um it's really disheartening to hear this garbage and i have many actual uh, real life friends in the industry who describe every interaction they ever had with William Hurt as not being a positive one um yeah there was there was a journalist saying like they threw he threw their colleague into a wall at one point like there's just a lot of and bad just being stuff, a jerk you know, you know? but yeah. again yeah i i, I when I was in high school, if you had asked me what my favorite movie of all time was, I would have said The Big Chill. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a movie that, you know, I, I had not seen uh, My Dinner with Andre yet. Um, uh, I, I thought The Big Chill was my favorite movie of all time for, for a large, large period of time. And, you know, he is in some of, I think, the greatest movies ever. There's, here's four that if you're listening to this show, you know, his personal life notwithstanding, these are movies that I consider to be must view films so if you have not seen the big chill broadcast news the accidental tourist or body heat Mm. you need to watch all four of those as soon as possible uh i i put those four movies in my pantheon of favorite movies uh from from that period and they are you know i haven't seen a lot of them uh in a long time but i would wager that they stand up stand the test of time um so and i mean that that leaves out many 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 movies he were, was in that were amazing I mean, children of a lesser god is is incredible and uh you know his more recent stuff as you guys have already mentioned it, he's uh i think he regardless of his personal life uh i think he was a an incredible stage or excuse me screen presence and um a key factor in some of my favorite movies ever so mm-hmm. yeah like his talent was undeniable. Like it's, yeah. I'm not even negating that. Like I, growing up, I used to look at his films and be like that. Oh, so that's what acting is. You know, that is what like giving your all to a performance is. Um, 
it's just I'm severely disappointed right now, basically. It, it is, you know, as I read this article of the Daily Beast, Divindra, I, I kind of shared a lot of your reaction to it, which is like, the, again, the allegations are horrifying. And and the thing that's in, that uh, is um, worth noting about it is it, there doesn't appear to be any kind of denial on his part. He's not like, right. no, it didn't happen, yeah. right? Like, it seems to have been accepted that this was true. Um and just like the way we talked about it was just so uh, different and much more dismissive of women, much more misogynistic back in the 80s and 90s compared to the way it is now. Uh, and so I do think we we do have to reckon with that. And uh, it's upsetting to to contemplate. Uh, and also it just like makes it so that like, again, it's it's complicated. It used to be when people died, it's like, oh man, they were amazing. And, you know, even on this podcast, that's the way we would talk about it. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, it's much more complicated. We need we need to like be able to hold all these ideas in our head at the same time, mm-hmm. which is uh, like talk about. Yeah. Um, I think of uh, the sequel to uh, Ender's Game, right? Speaker for the Dead. Uh, talk mm-hmm. about a canceled person, right? Like I grew up reading Orson Scott Card and loved everything he did, and then he turned into a monster. Um, <laughs> but the idea of Speaker for the Dead, right, where what you do at a funeral is is speak to their life in totality right? The good and the bad. And Mm -hmm. that is how you best uh, celebrate somebody. I've always found something really, you know, fascinating about that. And I found that to be really meaningful. Um, And I, you know, we're, we're kind of moving towards that, except it's also uh, covered in like internet hostility too. Yeah. That's the thing that I object to. I don't object to like talking about these things and remembering them. um, And and, like, again, holding them in our head. I, the thing I'm objecting to is this kind of like, you know, uh, again, this kind of dunking on this kind of like, you know, you're wrong for liking this person because, you you know, of these terrible, I, I just, it's the tone that, that bothers me, but I mm-hmm. don't, I don't object to raising these facts and, sure. and considering them, you know, like, yeah, I think I'm not telling people yeah. you're wrong for liking his movies. Yeah, it's more right, like, exactly. Hey, be, be aware of this be thing aware. that existed. Just be be yeah. aware and be aware that like people are complicated and can do great things and terrible things, you know, horrifying things according to this article. So Ugh. I would anyway. also like to say that, Speaker for the Dead may be one of the most disappointing sequels to a book of all How time. How dare you? You, you, you come How off a, you come you? Off a uh, high action uh, adventure story, and then the, the sequel is this like thinly failed allegory for Mormonism, and it's this like re- this this dour religious tale about a, a, a guy who goes around just saying sad stuff all the time. I, like as a, as a 13 year old kid, I was like, yeah, a sequel to Ender's game. Let's do this. And it's like, it was very oh. different. It was. Ooh. And then that whole series got really, really weird. Even Bad. weird. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Well, anyway, I, I would encourage people to uh, do both of the things that we've discussed in the last 15 minutes, which is, Check out William Hurt's films because they are really incredible. And also read this article so that you can understand more about who he was. Um, and again, it's at the Daily Beast. You can also check out Marley Matlin's book, I'll Scream Later. Um, I think they uh, help you to understand who this person was in their totality. And I think that's definitely worth doing. I, I, I have this whole thing against like stan culture in general you know i don't know if you guys oh, yeah. feel this never, way never stan anybody never stan anybody know? and it's like yeah this this happened we we saw an extremely vivid illustration of it this weekend i don't know if you guys were following mm-hmm. this oh the jane campion but thing. jane campion yeah um yeah was uh like so sam elliott said some ignorant shit on a podcast not too Very long shitty. ago about yep. power of the dog and then jane campion you know did this dunk on him uh prior to perfect. going to this perfect award dunk. show just perfect leave, dunk. leave the and stage, everyone was Jane. Like, 
you know, everyone was like, yes, queen. And, you know, <laughs> everyone like loved what she was doing. And then she said some extremely cringeworthy stuff uh, yesterday night uh, during an award ceremony. And, you know, it's at, at the end of the day, like none of the Jane Cappian stuff is, is a big deal, in my opinion, compared to the yeah. William Hurt stuff. But it's just like it offers a vivid illustration of like people being like, yes, go. This person's amazing. And then like mm-hmm. they say some dumb shit in a moment of like nervousness and weirdness and it's very bad yeah. what they said it's very like ungracious and uncool what they said um and, they, and she apologized for it today and it's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. just just don't elevate people uh in, in a way that is gonna, like people enjoy elevating people and then kind of delight in tearing yeah. them down and yeah. it kind of it kind of it's, bothers yeah, me yeah, that it's either stand or burn them at the stake, exactly you know exactly. and i don't, and, I don't uh, that's what i maybe I'm, we don't that's do what that. i'm objecting to you know it is mean? funny so. too like she uh i don't know if you got you guys never saw uh top of the lake I think no, um, but two seasons. The first season, of Top of the Lake, probably one of the best TV shows ever made. Just pitch perfect stuff. Second season, made several years later, um, a huge mess, a huge disappointment. It is just really, it was exactly that. It was like you had all this goodwill, Jane Campion, and then then you squandered it. Jeff this, Jeff might say season. it was the Speaker of the Dead of Top of the Lake season. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, um, well. Those are some of our assorted thoughts on the entire film news world that's occurred in the last, all that stuff that's occurred in the last week. Thanks for listening. Let's take a quick break. Thank a sponsor. We'll be right back. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Trade Coffee. Now, I don't want to be a coffee snob here, but uh, most of the coffee out there on store shelves is pretty dull and stale and probably questionably sourced. And uh, I have found, at least when I started drinking coffee, that it's easy to get stuck in a rut and just drink what you always have. Sometimes you just need caffeine, right? But you know what? Instead of standing in front of all the options at your grocery store or just like trying to figure out what's cool at the coffee shop, let Trade Coffee help you find something new to love. Trade sells the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship to you as often as you like, whole or ground. But pro tip folks, always try to grind it yourself. Whether you're a coffee nerd or just want a better daily cup, Trade's real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing method. So you get started by taking a coffee quiz. And, uh, you know, Trade Coffee guarantees that you'll love your first bag or they'll replace it for free. Trade has been featured by the New York Times, GQ, Wired, and has delivered over 5 million bags of coffee so far. I also appreciate that their subscription is pretty hassle-free, at least from what I found. You can skip shipments, uh, change your frequency, or cancel at any time. Uh, I have had several bags of trade coffee so far. Uh, I answered the questionnaire, and what I've got was some really interesting blends from San Francisco and Boston and a couple other cities, too. And it was all generally good and was very fresh, and I really appreciated that. Sometimes when I go to the grocery store, I'm looking for particular brands, and I'm always checking the roast dates, but they're not always super fresh, and sometimes I just have to buy something that's going to go bad real fast. That was an issue for me with trade coffee, and I really appreciate that. For our listeners, right now, Trade Coffee is offering a total of $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com slash filmcast. To get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com slash filmcast and start your journey to your perfect cup. That's drinktrade slash filmcast for $20 off your first three bags. All right, folks. Let's get to what we've been watching this week. Devendra. Yes. A movie have- that was not given... A theatrical release this week, but it was indeed. nonetheless one that was potentially worthy 
uh, was a Indeed. movie called Turning Red by Pixar. A, a movie that I really wish was our featured review this week, too. Um, yeah, I saw Turning Red, and I I adore this movie. This movie rules. It is it is so, so much fun and so unique and feels like so energetic in a way I haven't felt like Pixar was in a while, like in, in a long, long while. Um, and you, you guys know the basic story, but this is this is one of those movies that hooked me from the beginning. I think a big part of that, too, is that uh, I don't know if you guys realize this, but Ludwig Göransson is a goddamn genius like. This guy, uh, th- there's a viral tweet going around like, uh, okay, the job is, you know, it- it's a movie about a girl. She's going through puberty, you know, j- j- just a simple thing. Just just do the work, Ludwig. And uh, the picture is a piano on fire because Ludwig Göransson always goes hard. And uh, the score for this movie is incredible. Um, it's, also, it's it. very like uh, a video. It's almost like a video game score. It, sounds it like is. Time, so, right? so I, I, it is anime. Like what they're doing is um slice of life anime type scores uh very 90s era stuff so when this like movie began i'm just like i am back to being 13 years old watching you know really really just like chill anime about high school kids and that's really what this movie ends up becoming i think the animation's fantastic and you know the story it's it's a girl dealing with her dealing with maturing dealing with puberty and whatnot and her overbearing mother and you know there's something to say like maybe maybe we're having too many tiger mom stories at this point right it feels like uh the actual premise of this movie and everything that goes on is pretty much a prequel to the next movie sandra O is going to be in uh umma it's just kind of it, it is like i wonder if we we're going to start talking about like maybe harping on that theme too much uh but i think overall like it is very sweet i love the story about a girl like who was kind of a perfectionist and maybe I see a lot of myself in her too. Cause I was also the like over eager overachieving kid. And by the time I hit like teenage years, I was like, there's a lot of like, what is the point of all this? Right? Like, what am I fighting for? Um, and dealing with parents and whatnot who are really pressuring you to do that sort of thing. That is what teenage years are about. And this movie, I think eloquently deals with all that through the allegory of a giant red, uh, you know, red panda, um so I, I think all that stuff is really good like it is i love the characters uh, i love the music too like the the actual boy band songs it's about a girl who basically becomes obsessed with a boy band to the point where it shatters her perfect life and it triggers puberty in her and whatnot and uh the boy band songs are also really fantastic because uh they're by billy eilish and her brother phineas too so they're like they're good they're good in the way that like a poppy yeah, they, boy they're band legit song should be. Good boy band songs in the yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. So I, this movie did everything for me. And then by the, I'm not going to spoil where this movie goes, but this movie goes places I did not expect. And uh, the scale of it, uh, <laughs> it gets larger in ways I didn't expect. I loved it all. I thought it was a blast. And uh, I cannot wait to rewatch this. My current job is um, I'm trying to convince my three year old daughter to watch this movie with me. So it's a it's a really hilarious thing of like, hey, turning red looks good. <laughs> Giant panda movie, right? You like pandas? And uh she's like, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not not really interested in that. And it is me trying to convince my child to watch a children's movie. So it's a little <laughs> sitcom over here. I love this yeah. movie. Yeah. It's great. It's great. It's a really fun movie. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I think it is the second movie uh that Pixar has released that's directed by a woman. Mm-hmm. And it's also the second movie that Pixar has released that features a red-haired protagonist and a character that transforms into a large bear. True. 
It, it's, which it's, is uh it's very true also wasn't, wasn't brave co-directed because that's how pixar did some of that stuff back in the day oh yeah, yeah, yeah this yeah. one is pure this is domi she you know directing her thing uh and she also like is credit to the story and screenplay uh, other people worked on that but still like this feels like a more personal and complete story right rather than brave which felt always felt like half a movie to me yeah um uh, brenda chapman by the way is co-directed mm-hmm. um uh, the the movie Brave, uh, and I think that uh, I, I really enjoyed the movie. Domi Shi, by the way, also did the Bao short film that Pixar amazing, made, amazing, uh, which movie. is very enjoyable. Yeah. Um, so Turning Red, I, I already talked a little bit about it last week, but I think that the one thing I want to call out is. What's interesting about a movie like Turning Red, and what's interesting about being an Asian immigrant mm-hmm. into North America. I'm not going to say America because she lives in Toronto. Yep. Um, but an Asian immigrant into America is, um, for me, my experience of like my parents wanting to have a very strict upbringing for me and to demand, uh, you know, extremely high standards from mm-hmm. an academic mm-hmm. standpoint and so on. Like th- that's all very well trod territory, right? That's all like stuff that we've learned and heard about from many uh, Asian immigrant stories, right? So that that's not new, but it, it certainly is, you know, vividly illustrated in Turning Red. The thing that I really appreciate about Turning Red is, and the thing that kind of like took me a while to, to understand, right, is when you're growing up um, and your parents are interacting with you and they're ex- expressing their standards for you, what they want for you, what they, what they want you to do, Mm-hmm. Um, when when you meet your parents, you know they're often like when you start having memories of your parents, they're often in their late twenties, early thirties already, right? right? Right. They have lived an entire life. Yeah. Prior they're to fully that point. formed people, they're fully formed people at that point. Yeah. Right. And you, as a child, often have very little access uh, to what they were like prior to them. Mm-hmm. Right? Unless what they were you like, can time travel back mm, and hang yeah. out with them. It's true. It's true. We're going to get to it in our movie today, but. <laughs> But yeah, uh, you have very little access, really immediate access to kind of what they were like before, the, the kind of person they were, the developments and the challenges that they went through. And it's always been fascinating to think about it for me. You know, like mm-hmm. I know of my mom as a extremely domineering and demanding person, <laughs> right? But what was she? Was she always that way? You know, yeah, what was she, she like, like before, as a kid? Right? What was she as a teenager? Right, what was she like yeah. as a kid? Like what were her wants and desires and so on? And uh, you know, I'll never know. Like they'll never tell me, right? <laughs> but but <laughs> unless even, <laughs> unless you unlock the family curse, Dave, and just like really blow things open. Right. It's you know? even crazier to think that you know your your parents had you at an age that is younger than you are now. Yes, oh, absolutely. that's very true. You know, which my is, parents yeah. had me when they were like twenty four. Right. You know? no. So yeah. it's hard to fathom yeah. how young they were. When they, when you were mm-hmm. viewing them as a fully formed person, right, you know what right. I mean? Exactly, that's exactly yeah. right, right. And as an adult, you learn like, oh, you're, everyone's always growing. Yeah. Actually, yeah. there's no such yeah. thing as a fully formed yeah. adult. Nobody knows yeah. anything is the yeah. is the takeaway. Yeah, but that, that's one of the great things about turning red is that you have this girl who has this mom who's like super demanding and like embarrassing and has no self awareness and like. Of course, my mom was that way as well. You know, like it's just like <laughs> so many times my mom did things that made me want to like cringe and, you know, until I, my 
rib cage collapsed or whatever, you know, like oh, absolutely. happens so many times. Um, but what's great about turning red is it hints at like, Hey, like your mom might've gone through similar challenges or similar changes to like what you went through when you were a mm-hmm. child. And that's one of the things that is highlighted in ways that I'm not going to get into mm-hmm. in the movie turning red. Right. Is that it's just like, Hey, like, you know, maybe there's a reason your mom acts this way. It's because of the stuff that she went through, you know, yeah. and that stuff is hinted at. It's highlighted. It's brought to life really vividly in turning red. Um, Sandra Oh, right. Plays the, uh, the mom yep. character in the movie. And uh, she's great. The whole cast is great. Um, so yeah, uh, th- that's one of the things I really okay. appreciate about. The I'm show. also going to yeah. be listening to the soundtrack every day probably for for a long long while like it is so good the the opening track called turning red is like the perfect wake up in the morning and i gotta i gotta do stuff i gotta start the day it is so so good i hope i hope this thing wins awards or something i'm really glad you liked it that much domingo um jeff is this something you're gonna watch with your kids you think oh i've been bummed i didn't get to watch it before we all talked about it because i, I mean literally i think we're watching it tomorrow night i think it's on, mm-hmm. the, on the plan my mother-in-law's in town i think we're all gonna sit down together and watch it i'm i'm excited and it it feels like you know dave it feels like sandra O is everywhere right now could Mm -hmm. we perhaps be in the middle of a (laughs) don't do it a renaissance a a (laughs) renaissance oh my god oh that's actually not as bad as it could i thought you were gonna say oh right but i did i i switched it up on you (laughs) a renaissance nicely done (laughs) nicely done uh, well, that's Turning Red. It's available on Disney Plus right now. It is shameful that it did not get a theatrical release. Huge but I, also, I guess understandable, too, because it is hard to do family films right now in theaters. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, you know, you know what is getting a fam- uh, theatrical release? Light, Buzz Lightyear. That movie is going to get a theatrical release. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, I have a hard time imagining that movie is going to be better than this one. Just put that out there. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so. it answers the burning question we've all been wondering about with regard to Buzz Lightyear. Yes. You know? What is the story of the real life person that Buzz Lightyear, <laughs> the character, was based off of? Yeah. Right? The, uh, yeah. But, the but not a real we person. All, the, the, all the fake unaware real of for 20 <laughs> the years. Fake real, oh, the fake real person. Oh, I guess, yeah, yeah, I guess. yeah. Yeah. The okay. fake real person. You know, that the thing that we all didn't know that was a thing for 20 <laughs> plus years of this character's existence. Yeah. What, what is the backstory there? Where, how is it all formed? You know, like, yeah. where did those catchphrases come from? I want to know. Every time I've ever seen a toy in a movie, I've always thought, what thing is that based on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Devinger Hardware, I got really excited when I saw the second thing you put in what yes. we've been watching. Uh, and you got to, you, you seen the new Halo series? Is that correct? I have seen the new Halo <gasps> series. No way. I have. Ah, I've seen, jealous. um, I have two episodes right now. I've just seen the first at this point. Uh, oh. but I wanted to chime in because, uh, first of all, the embargo just broke. So you're seeing the reviews Woo! pop up everywhere. It premiered at South by Southwest this, uh, this week, which seems like a pretty subdued South by, to be honest. And, uh, I guess they couldn't really do too much, um, I'm not there in person. Nobody from my team is there, but that is one of the events I love going to because of yeah. cool premieres like this. And uh, my, my sense is it is a scale yeah. back South by Southwest. Um, yep. But I, I'm very excited they have a South by Southwest this year. Hey, yeah, uh, something. And my guess is it's going to be full force next year. Is my guess. So yeah, I mean yeah. it's back. They they have lost a lot of the remote stuff that was really interesting last year. So like no remote movies or anything. The only reason I was able to see this is because I'm like, you know, this is a PR thing. Like I'm working as media, but I wish like um you know again once again i wish people had access to this stuff anyway this halo show feels like it's been in the works forever right wasn't it it was announced 
basically, I think it has. I think yeah. there's been 14 forever. Halo shows in the works. Forever. You know? Like, history has come and repeated itself, and, like, time has looped back around. Um, yeah, we actually did get a Halo show at one point. It wasn't very good, but we, mm-hmm. we got a, a real Halo show. And then there was, you know, there's been four, four million iterations of this thing. So. Four million. I mean, and then, what was it, like, Halo 5 also had, like, a lot of live-action stuff, too. So that was, like, basically a Halo show. I don't know. Um, This show. Uh... The pilot and the second episode are credited to Kyle Killen, who has done a bunch of TV shows. Uh, thinking things like uh, Lone Star. He yeah. was really he was, he became like a really renowned uh, screenwriter because of that show. Did the Beaver Awake, which is also a really interesting series. Oh, I like that show. Awake. Yeah, I like that show. Uh, he left the show. Underrated. He's, he's no longer part of uh, Halo. Um, but uh, he, I, I guess, he did the work on the early stuff. This is a really weird show because <laughs> it feels it feels like so many other shows. And I'm going to like I'm just going to say a few things about the premise of the show. And the premise of the show is basically The Mandalorian, which is <laughs> really weird to see. Well, I Another, think that's why it got finally got made. Is I don't know. They've been making it before The Mandalorian. Like this stuff was in the works. Yeah, I before. know. But I kind of feel like somebody made The Mandalorian and then they went. Oh, uh, that's how we make a Halo show. No, they uh, they had to do a lot of this stuff before that. But certainly it is very coincidental. Like they are both about two very um, stoic super soldiers who are like renowned around the galaxy. Something happens that kind of breaks their code. And uh, all of a sudden they're like almost on the run with like a young ward that they have to take care of. So that aspect of it felt really weird. Um, the first episode, I did not... I was surprised by a few things. I was surprised that, first of all, this show is not for kids. This show, uh, the first 20 minutes uh, opens on like a rebel base, um, basically a group of people who would be the main characters in Firefly or something, or side characters in Firefly, talking about this evil UNSC, you know, and those crazy Spartans that aren't quite human, you know. They get attacked uh, by, uh, by the Covenant. And the Covenant come in and are blowing up heads impaling people with uh with with the the sword thingies um killing these kind of cartoon aliens just completely like annihilate annihilating people like it is it is very much like uh, the movie turn the show turns into basically starship troopers i think for better or worse too because there are some good sides of that there there is a scene early on where one covenant soldier blows like blows away an entire room full of children so this show, not for kids. It is very violent, very like nihilistic in terms of what it's doing. It's Sounds also interesting to me like to me. the combat evolved. Mm. Wow, Je- Jeff, you're just, you're just hitting them out of the park today. On a roll tonight. Um, the other thing, too, that's interesting is that uh, I, you guys have played the Halo games, right? What do you yes. what do you think of the UNSC? What do you think of the the like military government that, you know, uh, John Halo uh, works for uh, Master, Ma- Chief. Master Chief. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his, his name, name, John Halo. His name is not Halo. Halo is the name of the structure, Devendra. <laughs> um, I believe but, it's Bill uh, Halo. Yeah, it's, it seems uh, moderately competent, Devendra. What do you think? What do you mean? Mod- what do you mean competent? Like UNSC? Um, <laughs> I think in the even in the narrative of the games, right? And if you read the books and stuff, like I've read a couple of the books because I was into that stuff. The books really get into like how messed up the UNSC is and how messed up like the the Spartan program was like 
they were kidnapping child like children. Oh right, right, yeah. Genetically, yeah. child soldiers thing. Yeah, genetically yeah. modern. Yeah, yeah. Genetically engineering them into super soldiers, like giant humans, replacing the children that those families like they took kids. Replace the kids with clones. Yeah, with clones. Yeah. And the See, clones died because. Why don't you uh, just uh, the, make the clone the soldier? It feels like that's uh... the, the, clo- the clones did not live long enough. Apparently, like uh. it was like Blade Runner stuff. Like the clone tech. <laughs> anyway, this is deep Halo lore. So UNSC was always like kind of uh, kind of messed up. The thing that's interesting about the series is that it is really leaning on. Oh, UNSC bad. Like real, real bad. Like this is a totalitarian government. Um, I don't know if it like if they qualify as like a fascist regime, but certainly they're a government that willfully is wiping out, uh, you know, rebel settlements. Um, will kill innocents if it like achieves their goals. And Master Chief is working for that government, so it introduces a lot of interesting questions. That I think will either intrigue people who like the Halo show, like the Halo games, or really annoy people that's not like really following the Halo that we know. So. I'm I'm intrigued by the show. I think the acting is kind of all over the place. Pablo Schreiber plays Master Chief, and uh, um, you know, reviews have said this already. Do you guys care if I reveal a little thing here? Uh, I, mean, I, I, I don't care. You know, Jeff, you can take Jeff, your headphones you off. Take your headphones off? No, no, I'll take my headphones off. Uh, all right. Okay. okay. Um, unlike The Mandalorian, uh, this show just straight up shows us Master Chief, like. Like shows yeah. his face, you're saying. Shows his face. In right. fact, entire scenes are him just walking around in the suit. And I think Pablo Schreiber, great actor. I, li- I like him a lot in everything I've seen him in. Uh, the writing doesn't really do him justice. Like it's really, really just like very cookie cutter, uh, tough guy soldier stuff dealing with a young kid. And, um, you know, I just kind of I kind of expected more production wise. It's clear they spent a lot of money on the show, but it still looks a little cheap sometimes, too. So. There are a lot, of, you know, there are physical sets, there are actual vehicles made up to look like UNSC vehicles, um, tons of people in the cast running around too. It's not just like CG people, but there are CG backdrops. They're very obvious. Like it feels like the show lands in a really weird spot, right? Where you look at something like the Mandalorian or even the book of Boba Fett or even like foundation on Apple TV plus sci-fi television, epic sci-fi television is just like incredible right now in terms of like the scale and the scope that they can show and like the the production values they can put on the screen this show feels a little retrograde in, in that way it feels a little like a bit of a cartoon but i, I don't yeah, from a production value perspective yeah saying, right? it's a little cartoonish the cg especially because the covenant are all cg and the spartans too like when they're jumping around like there there's some decent action there there is like a 10 minute long shootout in the in the opening of the first episode but a lot of it is CG. A lot of it feels weightless. Um, I still feel like they're figuring things out. So I'm I'm intrigued by the show. It just feels like it comes at a really odd time uh, where there there is so much better sci-fi on TV. Like I'd rather watch Foundation because at least the production design of that show is so balls out crazy, and Lee Pace is delivering like an all-time great evil performance in that show. Uh, whereas this one's like it's a lot of generic stuff. Um, you know, Bokeem Woodbine shows up at some point playing a character people would know. Uh, so that, you know, that kind of stuff is interesting. I feel like maybe the show could turn itself around, but right now it feels like a cross between the Mandalorian, uh, a slightly dumber expanse and the foundation and foundation without like, without the budget, the sheer budget of foundation. So it, it, it is a weird thing. I don't think it's 
bad. I think it's watchable. Um, I'll be intrigued to see where the rest of the season goes. So I'll keep watching it. That's like my main takeaway. But be prepared for some weirdness because this is not the Halo you know and love. Got it. Well, that's Halo. And it will premiere on March 24th on Paramount+. Plus. Yes. Hello, friends. It's time for me to jump in here again and tell you about our sponsor, HelloFresh. Oh, I love HelloFresh. I'm telling you, you know, I cooked a meal, a HelloFresh meal for my family tonight. That's right. I did. And I have been a happy HelloFresh subscriber for many years now. Really, truly, I pay for it every month and it makes my life better. What is HelloFresh, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You skip trips to the grocery store and you can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. It's why I use it. HelloFresh has made me fall in love with cooking and it has taken away the pain points that I always did not like about cooking at home. It means I get way more variety in the menu that I serve to myself and my family. It means that I can enjoy cooking. I get pre-portioned ingredients delivered to my door that include farm fresh produce that arrives within a week. I get the convenience of it just showing up at my door without skimping on that quality. And I don't have to go to the grocery store. I don't have to wait in those long lines. I don't have to waste money on excess food that's just going to go bad in my fridge. HelloFresh gives me the flexibility that I need to easily customize my order every week online or in the app. In the app is what I use. I love it. I can easily change my delivery day, my food preferences, my plan size, or even skip a week whenever I need to. It makes it simple. And the meals are simple and fun too. You can make a meal in around 30 minutes or less. Plus, they have the quick and easy meals, including 20-minute recipes and low prep and easy cleanup options, which provide an even faster route to putting food on the table. Good food, food that I know what's in it. And did I mention savings? What about the savings? HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than restaurant meals of the same quality. And you can save on average 65 bucks a month when you order HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. That's money back in your pocket. So go to HelloFresh.com slash filmcast sixteen. Use the code FILMCAST16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash FILMCAST16 for 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Uh, By the way, quick note about Halo the TV show. Uh, Apparently, this was originally supposed to be... Uh, be a show that aired in I think 2015 mm-hmm. that was produced by Steven Spielberg. I think this one is still um, produced by oh, Steven Spielberg. I mean, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah. Spielberg, and then it was Neil Blomkamp, and then and... well, I think it was Neil Blomkamp for the movie, and that was like a long time ago. Yes, no, and I then, think it was going to yeah. be a series uh, with Blomkamp. I could be wrong, but yeah. I, Spielberg is still listed as a producer on this, and there, there have been quotes going around saying like he has touched every element of this uh, of the series. So there no, is. I mean, yeah, it was a Neil Blomkamp to... movie. It was, there's yeah. an article called Halo, the Neil Blomkamp movie we never got to see. Right. Um, and then Rupert Wyatt was mm-hmm. supposed to be director and producer. Yeah. Um, I think so... they trotted uh, Spielberg out on stage at E3 one year yep. and, and said, hey, we're making the Halo TV series <laughs> with this guy. And, and if, this, just... if this thing had come out in this form in 2015, I think we would have been like, holy shit, what is happening with science fiction on TV right now? Right. right. 
And now we're just spoiled with the Mandalorian and just like what Disney is just like with no sweat, really just like pumping out, uh, you know, theatrical grade science fiction weekly. So it's tough to compete. All right. Um, well, that's again, Halo. It'll be on Paramount Plus and also Devendra mentioned Turning Red, which is streaming right now on Disney Plus. I want to mention a couple things I've been watching. Uh, first of all, I had a chance to see a documentary on HBO Max. It's called Undercurrent, The Disappearance oh, okay. of Kim Wall. Right, yeah. Um, and I do want to acknowledge up front that it was directed and produced by Aaron Lee Carr, somebody who I consider a friend. So uh, keep that in mind. But for those who don't know, Aaron, uh, uh, Kim Wall is a journalist who went to do a wired profile. She's a journalist who did a wired profile of this guy who built his own submarine. And uh, she went to go on a ride in the submarine in Denmark and never came back. Yeah, this story is were, horrific. Yeah. yeah, there were a lot of questions about like what happened to her. Like, would you know? And then the guy, his story kept changing. You know, he was like, "Oh, I dropped her off safe and sound last night, and I don't know where she is." So, so then people were like, "Oh, Kim Wall's missing." And then he's like, "Oh, actually, um, she died." On, on the submarine and I had to like give her a burial at sea, you know, and mm-hmm. then like it kept changing and becoming like extremely suspicious. That doesn't you know? seem like, suspicious to me. Yeah, I, I know. That's a, it's like it's yeah. Th- but this is some that, like girl with the dragon tattoo shit. It is oh yeah, wild. no, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And and that's the thing, Jeff, you know, like it's it sounds comical because it could be that, that that someone would think that this would work, and that's kind of part of the narcissism of this mm-hmm. guy, right? Is that like he he believed that he could trick everyone into thinking that he was telling the truth even though he was just straight up lying in the most obvious way imaginable. Um, so I think un- if you yeah. built your own submarine, you should already be guilty. Uh, I mean, many people would agree, but I mean, yeah, the, it's, he's a billionaire, right? So yeah, guilty of something. Yeah. I don't know if he's actually that rich, but yeah. anyway, some he, sort of entrepreneur. He was definitely an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, but undercurrent, the disappearance of Kim wall essentially walks through the shocking revelations of the case um, covers, uh, the crime, the trial, the punishment, all the stuff that happened in the wake of it. And I think it is um, really fascinating. It, it illustrated many elements of the story that I had not originally been aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and Erin Lee Carr herself, she is uh, a journalist and I, I think in some ways wanted to highlight that journalists put themselves in danger all the time and mm-hmm. uh, and to kind of honor and respect that. That's kind of what she wanted to do with this film was my sense. Um, I should also point out that there was an, a dramatized series that was made out of this, seri- this event. Um, it's called The Investigation. It's also streaming on HBO Max. I don't right, know, recall right. if we've discussed it on the podcast before. I don't know if any of you have watched it. But Mm-mm. anyway, there's a show called The Investigation. If you want to watch the dramatized version, uh, then you can watch that on HBO Max. If you want to watch the documentary, you can watch Undercurrent on HBO Max. Um, but I found it to be a pretty well done documentary that illuminated a lot about this case that I hadn't previously understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really upsetting. It's really upsetting. It's really, really upsetting. Yeah. It's one of those things I don't know. I really like uh, Aaron Lee Carr's work. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll ever watch this one. Yeah, this it, story makes my skin crawl. It's really disturbing. It's yeah. really disturbing what happened. Um, and... It's truly a look into dark, like the darkness of humanity when you watch a mm-hmm. movie like this. So, in other words, Dave Chen catnip. <laughs> Dave Chen catnip. That's right. <laughs> As my wife would put it, Dave Chen catnip. Um, 
So that's undercurrent, the disappearance of Kim Wall. And, you know, I think part of the reason you watch movies like this is to learn. Part of it is also just to remember these people, you know, because uh, these people whose lives were lost tragically and they had a story as well. And um, part of this movie tries to tell that story. So uh, I appreciated it. Okay. I finished watching a couple of TV shows and I just wanted to mention the finales of these shows. Pam and Tommy wrapped up its eight-episode run this past week on Hulu. For those who don't know, this is a uh, dramatization of the events that followed, the re- or leading up to and following the release of the Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee sex tape. Um, Craig Gillespie uh, was one of the directors on the show. Lake Bell directed several episodes, and uh, Robert Siegel did a lot of the writing for the show. Robert Siegel, he did The Wrestler. Um, and the show is extremely watchable because uh, Craig, Craig Gillespie knows how to direct a Martin Scorsese-esque crime story with needle drops and whip pans and dolly movements and all that stuff. And uh, so I really found it to be... And, and also it's just like transfixing to watch uh, Sebastian Stan and, and Lily James like kind of become these people. But I started the season with a really big question, which is this show is about the lack of consent and how Pamela Anderson did not consent to this tape being released to the world, right? And it's about a re-examination of how we approach that situation, how we as a society dealt with the situation, which by the way, similar to the William Hurt thing that we discussed earlier, was extremely shittily, right? Like we didn't deal with it very well. Uh, And so... But this show was also made without Pamela Anderson's consent. She was not involved in the production. Um, People tried to reach out to get her blessing. They did not receive it. And so I don't necessarily think that you need to, if you're a public figure, that you need to provide permission um, if something's going to be made about you. Especially for like a huge cultural thing. Exactly exactly right. But... But if it's a thing, the equation changes a little bit when it's the topic of the show is about lack of consent. Um, Pamela Anderson is depicted in the show, uh, I'll just say graphically, like there's a lot of nudity and sex in the show. And she herself, the real life person, has not given consent. So it's like that my opinion on whether or not the show is okay changes given that that's the case. So. Uh, the question for me was like, does this show justify its existence? Is the, are the insights so deep and cutting? Is the show so well made that it's like, uh, you know, this is a thing that should be seen by people? And the answer is no, uh, it's not. It doesn't justify its existence. In fact, the ending is actually quite awful. Um, the there is a redemption arc that is given to the guy who did the releasing of the tape, who did the terrible thing. And in real life, that guy, who's played by Seth Rogen in the show, is completely unrepentant. Uh, And so he basically becomes kind of like the protagonist of the show. I don't think it does a very good job of illuminating like who Pamela Anderson really was in a multidimensional way. Um, And so if this is a show that you've been waiting to see, like, is this going to be worth it before you watch till the end? Uh, I'm going to say skip this one. I'm going to say skip this one. So. Those are some brief thoughts on Pam and Tommy. Uh, I watched it so you don't have to. And I should also note, by the way, that in the last couple weeks, Pamela Anderson, 
the actual person, deleted every uh, her entire Instagram history and replaced it with a single image that was uh, a letter written on Netflix stationery about how the truth was eventually going to come out. Um, an indication of the fact that there is going to be a Pamela Anderson documentary that she herself has endorsed and is involved in um, that's going to be released on Netflix. So I, I think that is a good thing that's come out of this is I think it's it's kind of signaled to her whether willingly or unwillingly that um, she wants to get her own story out there. And she it looks like she plans to do that via Netflix. They have not announced a release date or anything like that, as far as I can tell. Um, but this is not the end of the Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee story in the popular culture because there's going to be a documentary and I assume it's going to contain more insights about this whole situation. Um, I am probably going to watch that when it comes out and it's probably more worthwhile given that it comes with Pamela Anderson's endorsement. So wanted to shout that out as well. Okay, so that's Pam and Tommy on Hulu. But speaking of shows that I got to the end of that are actually really good... I wanted to mention All of Us Are Dead. Devendra, I don't think you've started watching this yet, have you? I have uh, not. Um, my wife is watching it dubbed, and it seems wild as hell, so I'm looking forward to getting started at some point. Yeah, uh, so I got to the end of the 12... It's 12 episodes. Now, this took me a long time to watch because every episode is uh, 60 minutes or longer generally. There's like a couple that are shorter. And every episode is also emotionally exhausting. Uh, there's just... You're watching these kids try to get away from these zombies. Some of the kids don't make it, and some of the kids' family members don't make it. And it's it's upsetting, and it's exhausting, uh, and it's occasionally very silly. But at the end of the day, this show is super ambitious. It was really many elements of it were really well done. There were like at least one action set piece per episode out of all the twelve episodes. Uh, and it's very addictive. It's really, it's really good. So I just wanted to give it another shout out. It's all of us are dead. It's a zombie movie from South Korea. Picture a cross between battle Royale and train to Busan. Uh, and you get a good sense of it. You know, the only downside of the show for me was that it's 12 hours long. Uh, and that's just really, even for me, you know, I, I marathon something sometimes, but like this was exhausting. It's, it's tough to get through. Um, but at the end of the day, really, really worth it. So, Check out All of Us Are Dead on Netflix. Okay. Jeff Kanata, hit us up with something you've been watching. Well, our friend and friend of the show, Dan Gvazdin, recommended something as, you know, it, it's been a... It's been a real roller coaster of Dan Gavazdan recommendations. Let's, let's, let's be honest about <laughs> Dan it. Dan Gavazdan of, either the, amazing hot or cold. of yeah. the Amazing Spider <laughs> Talk podcast. That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, he has recommended a few things that I have thought were some of the most compelling watching ever and would not have known about were it not for him. Uh, and, then, and then there's been, uh, you know, one or two things. Where was, uh, Dave and I were like, you know, uh, let's poke our eyes out with, with Red Hot Poker. You got to take those swings. You got to take those swings. Yeah. Okay, and, let's and, just you know, name what those things. things are. So like he made recommendations like uh, the show about the show, which was like really Incredible. compelling. And then he recommended There Is No I in Threesome, which was one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever watched in my yeah. entire life. Yeah. <laughs> Dave and I... You know, but you win some, you lose some. You know, I Dan, I love that. Yeah. I, there's no Dan no swipes for the sun. Okay, yeah, yeah. there's <laughs> no swipe on Dan at all. I love his recommendations. I love that he's pointing us to things that are not on our radar at all. And uh, and here here was a situation where Dan tweeted to us uh, this movie called Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, 
and said, uh, don't watch anything. Don't read anything. Just watch this film without knowing anything going in, which you know, talk about Dave Chen catnip. That's Jeff Kanata catnip right there. That's uh, that's the kind of recommendation that I that I leap at. And, but, and also, if if the juice is not worth the squeeze, he would be destroying his credibility for future recommendations, right? So, like, uh, yeah. Well, then you add on top of that the fact that friend of the show, friend of ours, fellow Denver film personality Walter Shaw mm-hmm. joined in and said. This was my favorite movie of 2021. I've seen it three times. Wow. Yeah. I didn't it, see it. It is super short, so you can watch it three yeah. times really, it's an really quickly. hour and 10 minutes. Barely yes. a movie. Barely a yes. movie. So, yes. again, Jeff Kanata Catnip. We're, we are in my wheelhouse, baby. <laughs> short movies that you shouldn't read about before you watch them? That is Jeff Kanata. That, Jeff Kanata it, it, all over. You go in completely blind, and you're probably going to love it. And also, it, the time commitment isn't huge. I mean, come on. <laughs> what more did you ask for? What more? You know, Dave's over here watching 12 hour long series. I'm in, a, in a, you know, I'm in at 80 minutes, baby. Yes. Uh, all right. <laughs> 70 minutes, really. Um, okay. So here's the part of the show where I say I was really pleased and grateful for Dan recommending it in this way and saying, Hey, jump in, just trust me on this one because I will say it is a front runner for my top 10 movies of this year because this is the year I've watched it in. Holy shit. Wow. Okay. I I love this movie. I love it. I've, I've recommended it to literally everybody on my phone and my contacts. Like I'm texting all these friends saying, Hey, Watch this movie. You have to rent it, but just trust me. I will reimburse you if you don't like it. Wow. Watch the movie. Jesus. Mm-hmm. You haven't even um, done that with me before, Jeff. Yeah. Well, I don't really like you that much. No, I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And, and I have done that with you several times. Um, so now well, I'm feeling really, pretty uh, hurt by You this really whole sussed out our dynamic, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Um, no, I I, uh, I I really do uh, think this movie is special and amazing, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. But if you are like me and you enjoy those kinds of experiences where somebody just says, hey, trust me, this is a good one. It's worth jumping in without knowing anything about it. This is one of those experiences. So it's called Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. The one thing you should know is that it's a Japanese film and you know completely subtitled. So you know maybe you want to know that going in, so you don't turn it on when you're doing something else, um, because you're going to have to read. But uh, I highly recommend watching it without knowing anything. Um, that being said, I think we're going to have a much yeah. A so more- we're we are now mm-hmm. going to talk about the premise of the movie and overall thoughts, and then we will dive into spoilers in the after dark. Okay. Um, so we're, we're so, going to reveal the premise of the movie, but if you want to go in cold, skip ahead. Yeah. Skip ahead. But the premise uh, you know, of the movie. Minutes. Jeff, so, do you want to, do you want to lay it out or do you want me to do it? Uh, you, you can do it if you want. Yeah. Well, there's, so basically there's this guy who works at this cafe and he lives above it and he discovers a portal into two minutes in the future. So like in his bedroom, there is a, uh, iMac, I think. An iMac, yeah. An iMac that has a camera on it, and on the screen, he sees another computer that has a camera on it that is two minutes in, that shows what's happening two minutes in the future, and it's downstairs in the cafe underneath him. Yeah, so the the thing you need to know is he lives above where he works, Yeah. Mm -hmm. and there's a TV where he works and a TV in his room that are connected, 
and yeah. one is showing two minutes in the future. Yes. So the entire movie is going back and forth between these places that are very close to each other. It's almost it's almost a play. Uh, mm-hmm. And and there are lots of long takes where we're not, or, or you know, it's disguising cuts where we're not. Yeah. Uh, cutting well, well between... we should we should point out also that the premise of the movie is that it is told in one long continuation. It is now, meant to be a one now, take. Time yes. Now it is yes. not yeah. actually done in one long shot, yeah. but it's kind of like you know Hitchcock's The Rope or you know other movies that are done in one long shot that like disguise the cut or 1917. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Dis- mm-hmm. Very similar movie to 1917, by the way. Um, they disguise the cuts, but. That is also, a key part of it because yeah. mm-hmm. if it's, it's, it's if it important wasn't, because it's yes. a magic yep. trick. The, the yes. movie's mm-hmm. a magic trick, exactly right? Because right. you're seeing yep. you're seeing things you just saw from one perspective play out on the TV screen from another perspective, and you're seeing it seamlessly. It, 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 it's, I mean, this is as close to the feeling that I had when I saw Pi for the first time, and I was mm-hmm. just like, a, I love time travel, and b, my mind is blown. Just yeah. the sort of this the 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 pure technical magic trick of it all the the like the thought process that goes into it because we're not going to spoil anything but the movie keeps pushing that premise to yes. really i think yeah. very satisfying places yeah um and it is a very simple movie it is a very small movie it feels like a very inexpensive movie i think it was shot during covid it is it is, it is like the quintessential covid movie because it, it's it was shot on iPhones uh, I think and, it was actually a GoPro. It was, uh, yeah, no, it was a camera. It was a GoPro attached to it. It was iPhone. a GoPro or attached s- to an iPhone. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, another little spoiler is stick around for the credits because uh, mm-hmm. the credits show some behind the scenes stuff. And I, I want like a full two hour like documentary about how they yeah, this movie. But yeah. Pi is a good comparison because that was like a low budget sci-fi thing that blew my mind at the time because of how brilliant it was. And this, yeah. this very much feels like it is in that wheelhouse. Yeah. But I also so, love well, the- let's, let's, mm-hmm. uh, let's take a quick break and uh, I want to hear more about this movie, but let's take a quick break. Thank a sponsor. We'll be right back uh, with more conversation about beyond the infinite two minutes. Hey, it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our new sponsor, Headspace. And Headspace has a question for you. How are you today? Really? Go on. Have a think about it. Take a minute. If you're feeling hyper or tired or annoyed or just... uh, (laughs) Well, it is time to connect with your feelings by starting your mental health journey with Headspace. I have used Headspace for just a few minutes a day. And it has helped me calm down. Just feel better. Letting go of unnecessary stress. Connecting with myself. Just breathing and taking a moment. Having it there in an app, structured, has helped me actually do it. And it doesn't take a lot of time. Just calming down and connecting with myself. Actually, I can show you right now. You can give it a try right now. Okay, here is a mini meditation routine from Headspace. So either sitting down or lying down, just taking a big deep breath in through the nose and out through the mouth. As you breathe out, you can just gently close the eyes and just feeling the weight of the body pressing down. Allowing any tension to release. Imagining the muscles in the body just switching off. 
relaxing, letting go of any tension. Just feeling the body sink deeper down to the seat or the surface beneath you. And you can either gently open the eyes again or just leave them shut now. Wasn't that nice? It's great, right? However you're feeling, try Headspace at headspace.com slash filmcast and get one month free of their entire mindfulness library. This is the best Headspace offer available. So go to headspace.com slash filmcast today. That's headspace, H-E-A-D-S-P-A-C-E dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. All right, Jeff. So before the break, we were just talking about Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Um, let's yeah. talk about overall thoughts. What were, you, what were we about to say? I mean, I, I absolutely adore this movie. One of the things I love about it, uh, which is, I think, very different than Pi, and, but I do think it, it is, if you like Pi and it's sort of, I don't know, rough around the edges, but really smart and really deep and, and it respects the viewer, I think you're going to love this movie as well. Mm-hmm. But the thing that really differentiates it from a movie like that is that it's also kind of about just kind of dorky loser people. It's you know, really it's, it's sweet. <laughs> it's a very sweet movie. It is very sweet. Yes, that's yeah. a better way to put it. It, it is like... <laughs> It, 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 my, I this love, guy just likes this girl and he just yeah. you know, to well, but I love that even like everybody's every the 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 progression of them realizing it mm-hmm. has such adorable steps yes. along the way yes. that are so just kind of goofy and they're yeah, playing yeah. with a toy. They're just like playing yeah. with a toy. And you see that the movie has really low stakes for a really long time. And it's, it's so fun. There's a certain point. I mean, it's a very short movie, but there's a certain point where I was like, are we just going to be playing with these guys for a while? <laughs> like, is that, is there literally there no plot here? Yeah. And yeah. I would I have been fine with that because yeah. I was having so much fun with them discovering it. And then they make really smart observations, but they're still kind of goofy and, mm-hmm. and fun loving and, and just innocent and sweet. And it, the the tone of the movie, I think, is wonderful. I, I just I can't say enough good things about Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. It's beautiful. And this movie it was made for like twenty thousand dollars too, like quintessential COVID movie. Very few people done really quickly. I think over a week. Um, just really really fun stuff. I want to shout out the writer of this movie because I think it's really it's the writing and then the overall execution of it that's amazing. But the writing really reflects like how deep how deep they thought about this. It's a Makoto Makoto Ueda who also uh, wrote one of my favorite anime series of the last, uh, last decade, the Tatami galaxy. So that's a, I had heard about this movie because it was actually, it became a bit of a phenomenon. Like people were writing it up and talking about it all over the place as it should be how weird it is and how wild it is that this thing even exists. And yeah, it, it is a perfect little gem. Of a yeah, time it, travel story. Yeah. It really is a perfect little gem. It it, it it feels like, hey, this is what you can do if your idea is strong enough. Like yes. it doesn't matter that the production value is very low, that the the you know the the it looks awful. It that it GoPro look great. not it good. Look great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't well, matter. What's also fascinating is like there are things you can do to yep. make a GoPro look good that they did not do. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, like uh the lighting, it seems like they use completely all natural lighting. Right. Yeah, sure. they um, didn't care. Like it yeah, doesn't sure, matter exactly. though. It's it, it doesn't matter. It's so it, it's just such a pure idea that you're like, oh, I can't believe. It's anyway. Go ahead, Dave. 
Yeah, so I, I love the movie as well. I was super impressed with it. I think everything you're saying is right. That like, this is the thing that's like you. All you need to make a brilliant film is an idea and a GoPro and an iPhone and maybe like a mm-hmm. doll, like a gimbal. Also, and a they few, probably a had few good friends sound. that are up for a weekend. You know, right. it's like yeah, that's exactly. all it takes. I I I, I do think um, to their credit, they did have good sound in the movie, which mm-hmm. is very mm-hmm. very important. Like, yeah. if you have to invest in your movie, if you only have you know. You know, ten thousand dollars to invest in a movie. Like, make sure you get the sound right for sure. Yeah, uh, for sure. Because that is the most critical component, and they they got that part right yeah. overall. Because uh, bad um, visuals can be an aesthetic. Bad exactly. sound is just a nightmare. Yeah, 100%. you see, you see in the credits that they they're booming the whole thing, and that, exactly. like they, they mm-hmm. took exactly. it seriously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, they put the money where it needed to go in the sound component. But yeah, it's just like, and it it, it reminded me of Nolan. It reminded me of mm-hmm. like. Here's a movie where they probably had to draw like a bunch of diagrams uh, or primer, you know, another one. They probably yeah. had to draw a bunch of diagrams yeah. about like, this is how this works. And this is how like, this is going to happen at this time. And at this moment, the character needs to do this because it doesn't, you know, and it just shows you, yeah, all you need is an idea, a GoPro and some commitment. And you can mm-hmm. make a brilliant low budget sci-fi film. It's, it's, it's very, very inspiring. You know? it's ins- yeah, it's inspiring in that way, right? It's like you see how simple it is. If you're like, uh, if you're an informed viewer, like uh, people listening to the show probably are, uh, you could see kind of what went into this and like how they cut certain corners to like make the plot work. But it just works. It's it's the yeah. pure magic of filmmaking here. But also, this is one of those movies where the fact that it is in one long shot mm-hmm. is essential to the movie itself. What yeah, I mean yeah. by that is. There are many, many movies, virtually all movies that are told in one long shot don't need to be told in one long shot. Or movies that have one long shot, like they don't need to be told in that. Now, it's just a flourish. Exactly. So 1917, okay? Great example. Whole movie supposed to be one long shot. Uh, the fact that it's one long shot does make it more intense. The fact that we're like real time with these characters does make it more intense and interesting. Yeah. Running up and downstairs with people, like you build that anticipation and everything. Yeah. Right, exactly. So there's, there's many great characteristics of it being one long shot. Uh, it would be a worse movie if it were not told in one long shot, but it would still function as a movie, right? It would still be like you're going with these guys, traveling with them to do this thing. The movie would still make sense narratively. This one, I think, would not work if it was not one long shot. And what I mean, what I mean by that is like the fact that it is in one long shot is crucial to convincing you that what is happening is actually happening. Because if they're just cutting in between these things, if it's not told in real time, it just doesn't. It completely destroys even the thin, paper thin veneer of suspension of disbelief that you have. And I, so this is one of the few movies I've ever seen that it's like the fact that it's one long shot is core to the movie. It reminds me of like David Copperfield, um, and when he used to broadcast stuff on like live on TV, it was so important to him, uh, important to him that stuff was done in one long shot because it's like yeah. if it's if there's cuts, then the audience will know that you like. Or, or they'll suspect that you, uh, you play, you're playing like real filmmaking tricks on them, and you, you don't want them to think you're playing filmmaking tricks. You want them to believe that what they're seeing is actually taking place. And, and um, this movie yeah. is a magic trick. It really is. Yep. You're watching an hour long yep. magic trick, and yes, it, I think brilliantly so. Um, I think that's actually in the marketing. Um, oh, really? Like, call it a magic. Let me see if I can find the poster. But it I, uh, says. Um, Oh no no yeah it, it it says a one take time travel sci fi comedy um, is mm-hmm. what it's called but it's, many people have called it a magic trick online so yeah. I uh, no I think it was a pretty original observation that I just made uh, yeah yeah oh yeah. for sure uh, I I recommended this to our friend <laughs> uh, in front of the show uh, Danish Syed and he uh, he put it in a really cool way I thought he said uh, 
it's uh, it, it's true crimes meets frequency meets primer meets one cut of the dead. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Great, great description. Um, now, I do want to say, as we've already indicated, it is very low budget. And I think ultimately some of the reach exceeds their grasp. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the after dark. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's still very charming and impressive. So I really like the movie as well. It's um, it's so great. Yeah. Beyond the infinite two minutes. Listen, if you if you guys like the any of the time travel stuff we recommended, this is a blind buy. Just completely just buy yeah. this thing. Yeah. yeah. It's 10 bucks, and I, I think even cheaper than 10 bucks. It's really cheap. I got it for 10 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's worth it. Um, okay. So uh, it's available on video on demand. I don't think it's streaming anywhere. Uh, no. So you have to buy or rent it, but it's beyond the infinite two minutes. I agree. Zero regrets. Just it's so creative. So creative. So, uh, Jeff, what else have you been watching? I checked out the new Showtime series, Super Pumped, which has the subtitle the battle for uber so right right there you go uh this it is also based has... off of the mike isaac best-selling book super pumped which i've read by the way mm-hmm. um, indeed i really enjoyed uh, it yeah yeah uh it also has the uh, i love the the poster quote for super pumped the battle for uber is every surge has a price <laughs> so dramatic wow that's, that's good right that's good um this is uh created by uh the, the guys who did uh billions yes. uh, brian koppelman and uh david uh, levine very talented yeah very talented uh and uh it has uh, speaking of talent tons of talent tons of talent that i love in it i will watch as you guys know i will watch any show that has kyle chandler in it oh for sure i love yeah. kyle chandler i will follow kyle chandler to the ends of the earth Kyle Chandler is in this. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in this. Uh, there are lots of incredible uh, sort of cameos. Yeah. Uma Thurman, Elizabeth Shue. Is Ariana Huffington? Yeah, come oh on. Oh, my God. Come on. Oh, my this God. This show what? has a narrator. Do you uh-huh. know who the narrator is? Quentin who? fucking Tarantino. Of course. <laughs> come wow. on. Of course. You know who he's credited as playing in the show? Quentin fucking Tarantino. It's a show that is about... Quentin Tarantino narrating these events. <laughs> it's pretty which, great. which is wild because like the Uber among all the like I don't know tech stories, the Uber one is not the one I thought would get the like high profile thing. But hey, we're we're getting a WeWork show too, so I don't yeah. know. I don't know anymore. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. Uh, there is there is now a podcast to documentary series to narrative fiction sh- or narrative. A dramatization pipeline yeah. that's occurring yeah. right now, gentlemen. Yeah. You see, you see the goal ahead of us. This is what we need this to. This is where we need to go. Yeah. I, I look forward to our uh, novelization of the film uh-huh. cast, uh-huh. and then <laughs> uh, of course, to Andrews playing me. Yes, yeah, and, and Kyle Chandler playing me. We got it, guys. Got Woo! it. I, I always saw you as more of a Nathan Fillion type, but that's me. I mean, I'll take it. But uh, <laughs> yeah. can we can we call up Kyle? Can we just make him an offer? Mm. Uh, yeah, an offer. Let's, let's 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 work on it. But okay, uh, so super pumped. Super what do you pumped. think of the show? Um, I think this is uh, pretty fun to watch. Mm-hmm. It, it is. It really feels like a show that wants so bad to be an Aaron Sorkin show and just isn't uh, quite. But, you know, it is basically tech bro the show. And I'm kind of here for it. It it. it <laughs> It really isn't, um, I don't know how historically <laughs> accurate it mm-hmm. feels. It feels very stylized, very Sorkin-esque or sort of Sorkin wannabe, uh, where everybody's saying the most, you know, the, the killer line at the killer mm-hmm. moment. Um, but the, just the, the sheer weight of the 
performance. I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's great. I really like that guy. Uh, and he's hamming it up to a certain extent. Um, but, you know, because, you know, Travis Kalanick, by all accounts, is a is a pretty uh, larger-than-life dude character. Um, mm, that's one way of putting it, yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it certainly doesn't sugarcoat. It, it is, it is a, a juicy show in the sense that it is a bunch of uh, a-holes being a-holes. But it's also pretty fun watching. I mean, there's only been three episodes out so far. I've watched all three. Um, one of the things that I love, I mean, the show feels like it's really trying to win me over, you know, casting people I really like. Mm-hmm. Quentin, have Quentin Tarantino narrating. And then the soundtrack is almost all Pearl Jam songs. And I'm not talking <laughs> even flow and Jeremy here. Yeah. It's, it's like deep cut Pearl Jam song, deep cuts. They just made this and, for and you, Jeff. Yeah. They made it for me. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. It's not period. Like it's not set in the nineties. It's not set, you know, in grunge. It's just, they decided they wanted to use really obscure Pearl Jam songs that I love, which is, I'm like, this is, I've never, literally never heard this song in any other media other than on a Pearl Jam album because it's a super deep cut. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's just, uh, it just seems made for me and I'm I'm enjoying it. You know, it is not, I don't think it is uh, prestige watching. I don't think this is, you know, the best show on TV right now, but it's one I'm going to stick with. I'm digging. I'm having a good time. I have a, a friend who I will not name by name, but uh, is very much in this world. And uh, I asked him to uh, watch this and tell me what he thought. Uh, He's met many of the people that are depicted in the show. And (laughs) I I loved what he wrote back to me. He said, um, the reality of a lot of this tech stuff is that everyone is super nerdy and nobody is cool. (laughs) So... This is a show where everybody's cool, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so in that sense, it is very stylized. It is very not the real world that it is depicting, but it is also kind of a fun ride because it's like, oh yeah, making a startup and getting VC money is super cool. You know, it's like, that's not the reality, but that's mm-hmm. the reality the show depicts and I'm having fun with it. That's that's good. Right. I, I do, I'm looking forward to seeing this, Jeff, but also I... I know this story. So it's like, does yeah. this, 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 this go into like how these guys just like killed the taxi industry and how they squashed competitors with like really <laughs> shady tactics? I hope it goes into all that because sometimes I'm, I am getting a little world weary seeing these things too, especially with the WeWork one coming out starring Jared Leto of all people, Morbius himself. Morbius. Oh my goodness. Morbius himself. You're one of um, Davinger's most anticipated films of 2022. I should be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I do wonder <laughs> how many of these things are, are kind of leaning to the thing where it's like, you're, are you, are you being critical of this? I don't know. I know you had that problem last week, Dave. So yeah, it, it's, it's a problem that no one else has. I should point out, right? Like, I don't yeah, think I, I, anyone would come away from super pumped thinking uh, Travis Kalanick is given any kind of glory treatment. He's he's hmm. definitely but portrayed you, as a dick. Okay, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. But yeah. you did just say everyone is cool. Everyone's cool. Yes, everyone is cool, but not. I don't think in a aspirational way. Everyone. <laughs> You know? <laughs> They're cool purely in unaspirational ways. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think it's 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 cool like a Tarantino movie is cool, where it's like 
Yeah. You, know, you don't want to be part of it. <laughs> let, let, let's put aside. Yeah. Do you, do you really want to yeah. be in Reservoir Dogs? No. <laughs> right? No. Which which character in Reservoir Dogs do you want to be? Basically, is what this is the guy um, who doesn't get his ear cut off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to be the cutting guy. Um, yeah. So. I, I putting aside let, let's put aside the question of like endorsement versus mm-hmm. uh like depiction versus endorsement right because everyone fucking hates what I have to say about that um, <laughs> but let's put that aside and say like it's a good question Devinder is like what is the net effect of yes. all of these dramatizations like what what do they serve any kind of societal or artistic good is the question right for me um if you've read Super Pumped, if you know about the story, it's mm-hmm. like, is there that much benefit from watching the show? I, well, I feel like some things are just better off being documentaries too, because yeah, the moment I mean, you turn it into a dramatic thing, it, it yeah, I don't know. I need, I still need to see the Theranos one, and to me, that is a more, that is a more like actual like yeah, there is drama there in terms of like this yeah. this tremendous lie and how many people believed it. Whereas Super, yeah, the Uber thing is like these. These fucks just raised a lot of money and they squashed the competition and they yeah. stole like uh, real time location te- uh, yeah, technology. And they, did very, other... they did very terrible th- schedules. Well, you know? yeah. I don't think this... there's any way you would come away from watching this show and not recognize that. I yeah, think sure. if but, you're but a person who's like, it's like, is hey, like... Uh, I'm going to watch a fun jo- Joseph Gordon Levin show and then you're like, oh, wait, wait, Uber has stolen, uh, they turned on cameras in uh-huh. the app and just watched and listened to people as they were riding in their Ubers? Like, that's all in the show. So, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, you know, I it might be like, like a, a bit of a um, spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down kind of deal. Right, right. Because like, so, so I guess like the cultural good theoretically is that like more people become aware of Uber's crimes if they watch this, theoretically, right? They would never li- wa- read the book Super Pumped because no one reads books anymore. But maybe me- people watch this yeah. and, and few people a, watch documentaries. They so, get a, yeah, yeah, they get a sense of the kinds of people that are leading these companies, the, the, yeah. the kind of sociopaths that we have at the, the top of the food chain, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, uh, it, it's, it's sad, guys. Like, uh, I, I, I've devoted my life to the act of journalism you know, to tell these stories, hoping that people will read it. But it's like they don't pay attention until it's like fucking super pumped or something. Right. Or the or the Theranos show, too. So maybe I'm just a little annoyed by all this. I don't know. Uh, Nina Metz wrote a great column at Chicago Tribune about this topic this past week. Um, we've seen a lot of uh, these kinds of shows recently. OK. Inventing Anna about a scam artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dropout about a scam artist. Super pumped. Uh, we crashed the new Apple TV Plus show that you guys mentioned. Jared Leto and Academy Award winner Anne Hathaway will be on that show, right? And they're, I mean, this, they're all like you, basically scam stories. Yeah, well, that's yeah. true. It, yeah. it really is the pipeline that you brought up, Dave. It's it's yeah. these were really juicy podcast series topics that have all sold as TV shows. Yeah, mm-hmm. and here's what she said. Here's what she said. Hollywood, Hollywood has always had an affinity for schemers, and maybe that's because show business itself is run by these very types. Mm-hmm. Powerful people <laughs> high on their own supply of overconfidence and fast-talking obfuscation. It's true. Like, I, pers- I get this. I understand this. Yeah. <laughs> the, cult, the cult of personality can grease a lot of wheels, but actually capturing that quality on screen has proven to be a challenge. As central figures, the Elizabeth Holmes and Anna Delvies and Travis Kalanicks of the world are brash, but also weirdly uninteresting and unconvincing as Maverick something or others. Too often, these projects feel like an expensive acting exercise of wigs and costumes and elaborate vocal experimentation, where everything is set off in air quotes as if to answer a question nobody asked. Mm -hmm. Does a story even exist until well-known actors reenact it? And... (laughs) 
so true. That's, that's so kinda, good. I, I felt that's yeah, it. it really resonated with me. Again, that's Nina Metz at Chicago Tribune. Mm-hmm. I read it. I'm like, that's how I feel about this nonstop deluge of these series. Again, mm-hmm. you know, Brian Koppelman, brilliant dude, and like many of the people behind these shows are very, very smart and intelligent, and like, but it it does feel to me, as somebody who's familiar with all these stories these stories don't add anything really to my understanding. Now, if right, you don't, right. if you're not familiar, maybe they do. But for somebody who like Devinger, you and I, we already know all about what Uber did. Sure. I don't think we're going to learn that much. I, I want I mean? more people to know it too. It's just, I, I am a little annoyed by the, uh, the vessel through which it's coming, <laughs> but also guys, like I, I don't know. I did, um, right after Trump was elected, I did, uh, a, a 1984 rating of the Brooklyn public library. Like I, I had a group of people and we all read the book together. And I kind of led the discussion and I started talking to them about like Edward Snowden, right? Like Snowden, like every everything he found, the 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 data the data mining and the wiretapping that the government was doing on all of us. And I looked around the room, well-read Brooklynites, you know, who who were really into 1984 and all the themes and everything. And, and nobody had any freaking clue what happened with Edward Snowden. And this was 2016. And it's like, I I guess there was no lasting impact to that. It just, it is wild to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, who played well, Snowden? I mean, that's that's their fault. I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt! <laughs> oh, Levitt, it was him all along! Wait, did anyway. he actually play Snowden? He did! <laughs> yeah. It comes full circle. Joseph full Gordon-Levitt circle. played Snowden in that Oliver Stone movie, right? Yeah, which was not good. Dude, that movie's not worth watching. Uh, by the way, I did see that <laughs> Carrie Bichet is, is co-starring in the show, and I love her in everything. If you want to watch, like, a good tech show... She's great that I think actually explores explores the world of tech, right? And the psychology behind it and the madness of it. Halt and Catch Fire, a show I've talked about many, many times. And one day, I hope you guys will end up seeing it. Uh, she uh, co-stars in that with Mackenzie Davis. Uh, really, really good stuff. Lee Pace, Scoop McNary, go watch that show. That's yeah, good tech. This one has Kyle Chandler. Does. Well, well, Halt and Catch Fire has, uh, has Toby Huss. Oh, I love right. Toby Huss in every. Yeah, I love Toby Huss. That, that is actually on my list. So, um, holding uh, sure, catch fire, sure yeah. Dave, sure. Y- your words to me are nothing. <laughs> hey, dude, I got through Euphoria. Okay, I can do anything. I can do anything except watch All Firefly. Right. That's super pumped. It's available on Showtime, and it just began airing this past week. This episode of the Filmcast is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there is always something new to discover. And with Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected by a person, by a human being. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. Right now, it's Oscar season. We're just gearing up for the Oscars. And Mubi has a whole section entitled, And the Oscar Goes To, featuring interesting, hand-picked movies that you may not have ever seen, but you should, including Tender Mercies from 1983, I Am Not Your Negro from 2016. They even have, oh, Crimes of the Heart? Oh, man, what a movie. They also have a Popeye the Sailor Man meets Sinbad David Fleischer cartoon. It really is like your own personal film festival. And you can try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash Filmcast. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Filmcast for a whole month of great cinema for free. 
We're talking timeless classics, award-winning masterpieces, and festival-fresh gems. Hand-picked, hand-picked by Mubi's curators. Check it out, M-U-B-I dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. All right, Jeff Kanata, what else are you watching? I also checked out a new show on Netflix called Making Fun. This is a reality show with what I think is a genius premise. <laughs> the idea is uh, makers, you know, like the, the whole maker revolution that happened over the last 15 years, uh, folks that, that build things. Uh, so this is a team of dudes. It's, it all is all dudes. A team of dudes who can build stuff. They have this massive workshop somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and they build stuff. The premise of this show is that they get a video conference call from children who ask them to make something, anything the children want. And invariably, that is a completely ridiculous, asinine thing. Like, Man. for example, in the first episode, a, a dinosaur that pukes tacos. They have to make it. It needs to be 13 feet tall. The kids give them all the, the rules, right? And then they go make it. Now, I think that is already a pretty fun idea. The, way, the reason this show, I think, hits God-tier status <laughs> is because it's a show about kids suggesting things. And the tone of the show is that it hates kids. <laughs> this is uh -huh. a show about how kids <laughs> torture these poor makers. And the makers hate the children. They don't think the children have good ideas. They constantly <laughs> belittle the children, tell them that their ideas are dumb. It is brilliant. It is brilliant. <laughs> the... The children, uh, you know, will check in on them, and the makers are like, "I don't want to talk to you right now. This is dumb. I don't. I'm busy. What are we talking?" It's obviously all played for gags, but just that layer. Whoever decided that that was the tone of the show gets my Kanata seal of approval because mm -hmm. the way anybody else would make this show, I think is like, yay, kids are great. And here's, we're having so much fun with kids. And it's like blippy and man and saccharine sweet puke <laughs> garbage, you know? But this show is like, no, kids are fucking terrible. And they, they're annoying and they have dumb ideas and they're not real people yet. And everything, they're going to force <laughs> us to make this junk that we don't want to make. We're squandering our talents, yeah. making this stupid thing. And these guys just sound ungrateful. Without the kids, they'd have, they wouldn't be on TV. It'd <laughs> yeah. be nothing. Dude, it's great. It, it's, it's tons of fun. It really is like, you know, it's, it's completely disposable, empty watching, you know, as all reality really is. But as those things go, I think this is uh, top tier as, as far as I'm concerned, because the things they make, uh, my biggest criticism with the show is that I wish they got more into the nitty gritty of how they go about making it. It really glosses over the step-by-step -step process of how they, you know, how they design it, what, what it, it, there's a lot of, you know, a competence porn, as I like to call it, of, you know, people who are very skilled at things, doing things very skillfully. And the the dudes, the actual maker guys are all have big personalities and very fun and, and 
you know, kind of fun to hang out with. So there's a lot of joy in that, but I wish it was more instructional about like, oh, how, how do we, how would we even go about doing this? How do we start? What do we think about? Doesn't, it kind of glosses over that. And also it starts, I think, with their particular skill set rather than starting with what is the best way to make this idea. For example, none of them cares a whit about technology, right? There's no um, 3D printing or circuitry or, you know, Raspberry Pi. And that is not dealt with by the show at all. These are guys that, you know, build with wood and, uh, you know, bend steel and weld and stuff like that. And that's all well and great. But I feel like there's some of the ideas that you go, well, the best way to make this isn't by making everything out of wood. It would be some plastic and some circuitry. And like, I wish that they would have gone at it from like, what's let's get the team that's best to make the thing based on the kid's dumb idea. But again, those are minor quibbles for what is really a very disposable sort of easy breezy watch and show that I think deserve to be brought up on this podcast because it's actually kind of fun and, and really uh, smartly made. All right. The show is Making Fun, and it's available right now on Netflix. And Jeff, uh, hearty recommendation. Is it a family show, you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't watch it with my family. My wife and I watched it just on a whim. And we we're like, oh, this, you know, let's put this on while we're doing something else, folding laundry or whatever it was. And then uh, ended up watching like three or four episodes just because it's like, oh, these, these guys are fun to hang out with. And I just love the tone of the kids being crapped on constantly. You know, it's, it's like weird. We, we're a show <laughs> about granting kids wishes and we hate the kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's great. Got it. All right. Again, it's making fun on Netflix. And that is what we've been watching this week. Let's get to weekly plugs. Weekly plugs the part of the show each week where we plug something else that we've been making. Uh, I want to plug an interview that is going to come out this week on the Culturally Relevant podcast feed. When I started podcasting 15 years ago, uh, there was one person who I always wanted to have as a guest on the show. Uh, on this show, who ha- until this point has not been a guest. <laughs> um uh, but she was somebody who inspired me, um, who changed the way I think and write about um, movies and TV. Uh, I just find her to be incredibly smart, eloquent, uh, passionate about the stuff that she writes about. And she's one of my favorite writers. Her name's Heather Haverleski. And she's written a few books. And her newest book is a mo- uh, book called Foreverland on the Divine Tedium of Marriage which is about her marriage and and what it is that makes a marriage and what makes a marriage work and why marriage can be maddening and painful. And uh, I think it's one of my favorite books. It's brilliant. And I was so blessed to be able to interview her for Culturally Relevant. We talk about her new book and her about her life as you know uh, a writer and a critic. And um, it's kind of like a, I don't know about bucket list, but it's kind of one of those ones where I'm like, I, I feel very happy and blessed that I was able to do this interview. So um, check it out. It's going to be uh, available this week on Culturally Relevant. Be sure to subscribe to that podcast and you'll you'll get the interview when it drops later this week. So that's my weekly plug. Devinder Hardwar, your weekly plug. Yeah. I mean, uh, what happened? Was it this week or last week we learned about Apple's Mac Studio, right? A cute little mini desktop. Well, I just reviewed something called the Nook 12 Extreme. 
from Intel. How about take that, Mac Studio? <laughs> take that, Int- Mac Studio, in your face. Yeah, it is I, am, a, I am super psyched about the Mac Studio, though. I, the Mac I Studio looks really to, cool. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to like uh, playing with that eventually. Uh, but the Nook 12 Extreme is a mini mini desktop that is kind of playing in the same territory as the uh, the Mac Studio, except it is fully configurable. So you can buy you buy this thing like with the CPU uh, and like this really tiny little motherboard card. Uh, you plug in your own graphics card. You plug in your own RAM and SSD. It gets expensive, but you know what else is expensive? The Mac Studio. So <laughs> a lot of the reservations I used to have about these Intel Nooks just out the window because uh, th- this is like the price range that these tiny systems are playing at. I think this one is really cool. And for some people, I think it'd be really useful. So check out my review of the Nook 12 Extreme at Engadget. All right. Yeah. Um, are you going to be doing a review of the Mac Studio? Can you even talk about that if you are? You can't, I right? mean, no comment. Okay. Okay. Well, if you are, I'm looking forward to it. I'm so psyched about that device. It's like... I think it's going to be a game changer for me um, in my podcasting really and, cool. and video It looks stuff, really so. cool. I mean, spec-wise, everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Kanata, what's something you've been making recently? Well, I make the DLC podcast, which is about video games and gaming of all kinds, really. And uh, last week was a particularly fun episode, or I should say this week, as you're listening to this. Uh, we had one of our favorite guests, Lana Bashinsky, who is an animator, senior animator at Riot Games. She came on and hung out with us, stayed for our bonus show. You know, we recently launched a Patreon uh, for DLC, uh, very similar to this one. And we have uh, our version of an After Dark, which people have been really enjoying. We released a uh, an episode uh, last week uh, in the main feed. So if you want to hear what that's like, uh, me talking about all kinds of other stuff in the main feed uh, of our show, we, we put the the our version of the After Dark card called Paid DLC. Uh, but this week's episode, you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Uh, it is uh, with uh, Lana Bashinsky talking all kinds of fun stuff. She's so much fun, and we always have a great time. Um, lots of great video games uh, out right now, including Elden Ring and Horizon Forbidden West. And uh, I just got a Steam Deck, which I talk about in the episode as well. Wow, Ooh. nice. Yeah, super cool. fun. All right, well, that's DLC Podcast. Those are our weekly plugs. I want to give a couple weekly plugs for the podcast. If you want to support us, very easy to do that by going to patreon.com slash filmpodcast. And if you want to support us without using any money, uh, there's very easy to do that as well. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, leave a star rating or a review for us. We would really greatly appreciate that. We never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes any financial hardship whatsoever. But we are so grateful for all the folks at patreon.com slash film podcast. And uh, you can sign up for ad-free episodes and also uh, weekly exclusive after darks over there at patreon.com slash film podcast. Again, uh, this week we're going to be talking about Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Next week, Columbus on the After Dark. Lots to come as well. We did a Scream retrospective recently. That was a blast. Um, Be sure to check all those out at our Patreon page. All right, folks, let's get to our review of The Atom Project. Are you kidding me? We slow down? There's no one even following us. Don't look back. Look up. Uh, I think we're about to have some company. Stop the car. What? What? Stop! Go, 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 reverse! Laura, this is... Me. Hi. Parallel contact, babe. Well, you know, you've always said that you wished you'd met me earlier. Here I am. <laughs> Do you remember this? I mean, 
this is happening to me, it already happened to you, right? Unless it works more like a multiverse where each ripple creates an alternate A multiverse? My God, we watched too many movies. So 2050, is it really bad? It's not great. Find him. Get ready to run. That was from the trailer for The Adam Project, new film by Sean Levy on Netflix. I'm going to read the plot summary right now from IMDb. A time-traveling pilot teams up with his younger self to come to terms with his past while saving the future. According to my Netflix, this was the number one film on Netflix uh, over the course of the last week. Uh, number one in the top 10 listing. Also, a couple of other interesting facts. I mean, this is Sean uh, Levy's follow-up to Free Guy, which was a big hit. Um, we liked. We really liked, yeah. Right, we, we really liked it. Also, like, here, here's the thing about Sean Levy. Like his films or not like them, uh, the guy is trying to make original films. Free Guy, not based on an existing property. Yeah. You know, Adam Real Project, Steel. I love Real Steel. Yeah. I think Real Steel is a blast. Yeah. Now, there isn't Real Steel based off of that is boy, it? though? But anyway. Was it? It, it point, wasn't point be- actually based off Rock'em Sock'em Robots. But, yeah. <laughs> but point being, you know, like, uh, the, he's trying for so, like original stuff um, in general. Uh, and, uh, d- debatable. Debatable. <laughs> I mean, they're heavily inspired by other things, okay? I, I but, do not use the O word with this movie, please. But, okay, yeah. well, on that note, also, uh, Deadpool 3, it was announced this past week that Sean Levy is going to be directing the new Deadpool movie. Mm-hmm. So it just feels like the confluence of a lot of different things where sure. Sean Levy is making like... Uh, He's he's one of the last ones making hit movies that are original until Deadpool three. Um, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, whenever he makes a Netflix movie, it becomes number one in the world or on Netflix for weeks. Uh, Red Notice, now this, uh, and the dude yeah, puts just, asses in streams. You know what I'm saying? Asses in streams. That sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cross but, the streams. Yeah. All that said, the Adam Project seems like it has a premise for something that. We would all like sci-fi premise, heartwarming family story. Devendra Hardwar, what did you think of this movie? This week I saw a movie in which the main character has to go back in time to save the future. In which Zoe Saldana plays a kick-ass sci-fi warrior woman. In which Mark Ruffalo plays a super smart scientist. In which the soundtrack is made up of too many memorable classic pop rock hits. And in which one of the lead female roles gets very little to do. But enough about the entirety of the MCU. Oh, all of boom it. goes to all of wow. it. Wow. Wow. That was, it really took a turn there at the end. Very harsh against the MCU. <laughs> I mean, yeah. How long did it take to get Black Widow? Um, <laughs> you guys, when I was watching this movie, I was like, oh, this is fine. Yes. Final sci fi action movie. Uh, there, there's uh, the, the action. It's there. Looks good. Um, oh, Emotional beats. Interesting. Um, <laughs> We're as I thought about this movie. The live commentary from Devinger's brain for this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, as I thought about this movie, I have come to the realization that I hate it. This is a movie that feels like it was written by Al G. Rhythm. This is not an original movie. This is, no, this movie is a blended, boring uh, mix of every single movie we have ever seen this movie shorthands by saying like, remember Terminator? Well, that, that, that is the backstory for a huge plot element of this movie. Um, 
yeah, I'm really, I think I'm really annoyed by it because of how empty it is. And also because I liked Free Guy and I kind of want, like, I want Shine Levy to make real cool, fun stuff. This movie is just like a big load of nothing. It is sort of like if you take a look at our culture, right? And maybe this is how you felt about Ghostbusters Afterlife, Dave. Um, yes. Whereas I think that yes. movie, that movie at least did some things. Like, yeah, sure, it was entirely a Ghostbusters rehash, but there were things about it I really enjoyed. And the more I think about this movie, the more it just feels like, well, people like uh, wildly choreographed uh, action for 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 no reason right people like big chase sequences um you're those people that's you yeah, you're just we, we are those people <laughs> i feel like i watching this movie just feels like it is i don't know if it's pandering or whatever and i know people like this and if you like this fine sure go ahead um but <laughs> this movie it it doesn't it it wants it wants the recognition of all the good things, you know, uh, all the better things it's inspired by can do, but it it doesn't actually like do the things to earn it, right? You can't just give me a time travel story and be like, oh, the future's bad, guys. Future's real bad. Okay. <laughs> Show me the future. Show it to me. What is so bad? What is going on? You can't just be like, well, it's like Terminator, but 10 times as bad. That's not it enough. Show the work. <laughs> Show the work. That's all it I'm asking. Kinda, it kind of reminded me, uh, in some ways, of Venom, uh, which is and Venom or Venom Two, which to me felt like they had the outline of a plot. Like the, here's the bad guy, and here's uh -huh. the MacGuffin, and here's the thing, you know. But they don't actually put in no, the work. No, to, Venom yeah. is at least like jazz, right? Venom is like uh, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna jazz, jazz here with Tom Hardy, right? You <laughs> don't know. You don't know what's gonna jazz. be like. Venom is Tom Hardy jazz. This movie is a clear like uh run run concept through an algorithm uh give me broken family spielberg boom give me uh, a fractured relationship between uh son and uh, mother boom you know give me heartfelt reconciliations it is everything we have ever seen before in one movie and i think that's why i hate it okay jeff canada what did you think of the adam project well dave <laughs> I guess you could say I'm what so I curious. thought of the Adam project is best be. summed up in the form of a limerick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I'm ready. We're I'm all ready. I'm yeah. racing myself. A throwback to when films were greater. Time traveling like Terminator. Kids were the key. Explorers, E.T. or Flight of the Navigator. Nice. So does that yeah. mean you liked the movie, Jeff? Those were some great movies you just named there, Dave. <laughs> yeah, that was a great okay. Show. Now, here's the thing. Yeah. I don't actually disagree with anything Devinder said. <laughs> however, however, I had a good time with this movie. And it really did feel like a throwback to those movies of my youth, of the 80s, when yeah. there was an entire tier of films Mm -hmm. That weren't the top tier. They weren't your Star Warses, your ETs. Sure, sure, sure. You, they were one removed from that. You, I'm, never you ending know. story. Well, never. <laughs> Willow. Dude, how dare you? That's yes. top tier. That's top tier. I'm talking. <laughs> I'm talking. Batteries not included. Sure, I'm talking. Sure, sure. Flight of the Navigator. Explorers. Um, Starman. Uh, oh man, there's a million of them. There's uh, so many. There were so many back then. Yeah. Yeah. Crawl. Uh, the Last Starfighter. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. You know, short circuit. Uh, these are 
movies that were my childhood, mm-hmm. they aren't good. They but aren't good. They're, you know what's interesting? I think each of them showed us something we hadn't seen before. Like, that's my main thing. I remember well, the ship in Fire the Navigator. That ship looks so damn cool. All the right. aliens on it. All the, like really inventive designs. The idea wasn't, I haven't seen that movie in like 30 years, but there's an aspect to it where he uh, wipes himself out of reality or something, right? Or something remember. like that. Like he, he his parents so. no longer remember who he is. I remember. Oh yeah. Just, well, he has to be, yeah, he's abducted to be the navigator. Yes. And so he has yeah, to, yeah. Yeah. So um, these deep concepts that have haunted me forever. Well, okay. You know? So I will counter with, I don't think we've ever seen the, the real sort of, promised promise of time travel which is hang out with your younger self i mean yes we've we've you know even like a looper or whatever but Mm -hmm. it's happened a few times but there's never been that thing where it's like i would go back and tell my 11 year old self x y or z you know this and and you know there's a third act thing that kind of does even another layer of that and i think just that premise alone is fun and and the execution is fun like ryan reynolds is objectively amazing. He is charming and fun and you just irresistible. Like his interaction with that kid, his 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 pure charm carries this movie and you know, he, I love his sort of irreverent uh that that thing he's playing that character he always plays Th- that and that thing kid, he always plays. Right, but I in, love in that every movie? Like, I, he does it yeah. very very well. And it is fun to watch. And he's got some real zingers and some real great one-liners. And it's it, like, it's enough for me. It's enough for me. Is this a great movie? It is not a great movie. Is it a a great Netflix? Put it on on a Friday night, grab some popcorn and just kind of shut off your brain and have a good time. I think it is. It is not, it doesn't insult the intelligence. It just sort of asks you not to think too deeply about anything. <laughs> just <laughs> check your brain. It you doesn't know. insult. It doesn't actively berate your intelligence. It just says, "Please stand outside while yeah, we do this." Take yeah. five minutes, intelligence, yes. uh, and we'll yes. have a good time. But stay yeah, at the door. Yeah, for, uh, forget about every movie you've ever seen. I will give this movie well, uh, credit for one thing, which is that uh, it is the rare movie where I want to murder the child actor, just murder the child character. <laughs> that's because well, I hate nice. him so much. That that's doesn't sound nice. too much credit. That doesn't sound really like credit, Devendra. That's it's a, like, it's <laughs> an achievement. That's a real achievement for me because well, I like child actors in uh, in movies typically. He, you know, here's the thing. And here's the thing that I think is true of all the movies I cited. That sort of second tier 80s movie that we're all trying to capitalize on the Lucas Spielberg Zumeckisification of the world. Um, they're not made for you, right? It's, this movie isn't really made with you as the primary audience. It's made for an 11 year old. Right. It it is not made for somebody that has seen all those movies. It it is made for somebody for whom it it would be an awesome fantasy for Ryan Reynolds to come to your house and say, I'm you when you grow up. Like that's in the 80s, movies were made for the fantasy of the kid, you know? And I think some will hear where along the line, fantasy movies got made for 30 somethings. And this movie, I think, really is going, hey. Remember when movies were made to a type of movie, a fantasy movie like this was made to sort of be a flight of fancy for a young kid. And I'm, I, I, it kind of stirred that nostalgia in me of that feeling of being a young kid and watching those kind of movies that my dad would have thought were terrible, 
but I had a great time with. Yeah, D- Devendra, don't you think if you and I watched this movie when we were kids, like we would have loved this movie? Do you not think that that's true? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> this is a thought experiment, guys. Okay. Yeah. When we were kids. So are we rewinding back in time or are we kids right now? <laughs> That's that's the question. Because if I'm a kid right now, I have seen all the MCU movies already. This is not some major thing I'm asking for. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Well, look, kids I, are I'll not t- dumb. Do not insult kids' intelligence because they're they they will know when you're bullshitting them. You know. So I don't know. Uh, if I was a kid, I probably would have enjoyed some of this. Sure, but uh, sure, I don't know. That, that's gonna- a weird thing. I can't decide that. I'm going to come in right between you guys, actually, and say uh, first half to third of this movie, I actually really liked it. I was like watching this thing. I'm like, this is great. Like, love the action scenes. I actually really appreciated the heartfelt stuff because that's what this movie is in many ways. It's like a thought exercise. If you could go back and talk to your younger self, what would you say to them? Right? What, What would you communicate? What are all the things that you would tell them to do? And there's a line that Ryan Reynolds has really relatively early on in this movie that really hit home to me where he says, you know, sometimes you are still like you will in the future, you will wake up like sick thinking of the terrible ways you treated your mom during this time, you know, and it it really hit me because it's like, yeah, we, we all have ways we're not proud of the way we treated our friends or loved ones. Right. And imagine if we could go back in time and like undo that and fix that. Um, and that was kind of some of the thought exercise, thought experiment, um, emotional catharsis that this movie kind of offers. And I really appreciate that. And the action is pretty cool uh, to start with. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. And then the second half of the movie happens. <laughs> and I was really not as much of a fan of it. Um, it felt much less grounded, much more silly, much more ridiculous for reasons that we'll get into. And so ultimately at the end, I kind of ended up not really loving this one, unfortunately. But I also feel like, per what Jeff said, if I watched it when I was a kid, I would have thought this is like one of my favorite movies. This is, you know, you know how people are like Goonies is a good movie. You know, like this would have been, <laughs> yeah. this could be this generation's Goonies. You know, I don't know if this. I go that far, but it, yeah, yeah it, it, <laughs> it does feel like a movie that an 11 year old kid would, would see 400 times. Yes. Yes. That's, that's all I'm saying. Anyway, OK, why don't we get to spoilers uh, for The Adam Project starting right now? Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. I don't want to go on a rant here, but... You know, a movie like The Adam Project... I read a number that shocked me. (laughs) <laughs> that this movie's budget was 175 million dollars. I don't I, think that's true. What? But I mean, it makes sense that literally every bit part is a big name actor. Yeah, it, they it, blew it, up a lot of spaceships. So it probably is closer to like 80 to 100 million dollars. But that, you know, I, I'd feel that like that's more viable. Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't know. Like, so I, I have not been able to find the actual number uh, confirmed. But I feel like if you're going to spend tens of millions of dollars on the movie, you ought to at least spend $2,000 photoshopping the pictures in the movie. <laughs> That's all I'd say. <laughs> the picture, there's, there's cr- critical moments in this movie where they cut to pictures, and the pictures are, it's literally, I believe I, David Chen, could do a better Photoshop job than you see in this movie. 
and I suck at Photoshop. I'm not very. What, good. what are you referring to specifically? I'm trying to like wreck my brain. Well, here. there's a there's a moment in the cabin where Zoe Saldana's character is like, Sorian and your dad made the thing, and she throws down a newspaper, and it's like <laughs> an image of the two of them. Right. right. And then later on, you see a photo of young Mark Ruffalo and the kid, and then young Jennifer Garner and Sorian, and like. Catherine Keener looks like she's from a completely. She looks like she, her photo was shot with like an iPhone four, and everyone else was shot with like a Canon five D Mark two. You know, like it just <laughs> looks ridiculous. Um, yeah, nobody will notice. Some, you don't put in yeah. some extra work on those photos. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, um, I like when uh, you see yeah. young Catherine Keener. Usually, the youngification. You know, you don't you don't do the the Catherine Keeners of the world. Don't get the youngification. Sure, uh, everybody gets it now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I thought that it looked uh, absolutely terrible and unconvincing. I don't know what you guys thought. <laughs> it sounded. It uh, looked like she came out of like a uh, Polar Express. It, you it know? looks as much as I buy that character. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was very. I, I will give you this, Devinger. It was very hand wavy of her. My being like, my future self came <laughs> to tell me to do these things with no discernible threats. I did these things. How <laughs> dare you make me do those things, future self? How? What? Well, also, apparently, she's like, quote, unquote, in charge of the world, as far as I can tell in the future. I, you know, if you're, yeah. if you're going to do that shit, just give me give us a glimpse. Give us something <laughs> like that's That's all. That's all I'm asking. Like Terminator, even Terminator 2 just gave us like a glimpse at the beginning. Right. But that really set the stage of like how messed up things are in the future um that opening sequence of terminator 2 right burned yes. into my brain you don't need, yeah. give it 30 seconds that's all you need might, might be a little dark for this movie but yeah doesn't um, have to be that well they're they're saying it's worse so <laughs> how is it worse they literally said it's worse yeah and to be fair the terminator 2 beginning was already pretty bad you have like freaking terminator t800 stomping on human stomping skulls on skulls it's, yes <laughs> Uh-huh. How can you get worse than that? Anyway, um, how, we, how does the discovery of time travel <laughs> ruin ruin civilization? Well, it's because Sorian uses it to enrich herself, obviously to the to the uh, detriment of everyone else in the play. Well, it's a cool Let's notion see. that the the movie starts in the wrong timeline. Sure, like, yes. I think that's cool. That's never yeah. I've never seen that before. You know, like they're saying the timeline is already fucked. Like. She, she, this is already the timeline where she messed with everything and she's the richest person in the world. I think that's cool. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. There are some cool concepts. There are some cool concepts, but uh, totally understand your beef with that component of it. And yeah. also, do what, you guys what? not think that the youngification of Catherine Keener looked awful? Like, it's, it's not great, I but was, I, 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 I just cool. don't care. I yeah. thought it was horrifying. It, was, <laughs> it looked like, it looked like Grand Moff Tarkin from Rogue One, like that, that <laughs> level of like, Every time she's in it, I'm jarred out of the story. Right. Um, I was I was more concerned with what the hell happened to Jennifer Gardner. Where did she go? Yeah. Uh, in in just, what sense, Devendra? She left the planet. You know, well, because of what they did, because of uh, they had to go back to the other timeline. But uh, you've got Jennifer Garner in here, guys. In a nice, <laughs> like, kick-ass, like, action story. Hey, no, are you, she's are you not talking doing... about Zoe Saldana right now? Or No, man. Jennifer what Garner's the mom. About? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I know, but she's not. She's not. What happened to her? Where she's did not she doing go? Ass kicking in the movie, so I was like, yeah, okay. She, anyway. I think he's complaining is, that she didn't do any ass kicking. I see. I see. No, <laughs> not even that she didn't do any ass kicking. She, she's an essential <laughs> element of this movie. The entire second half of this movie. Where is she? There is no 
real catharsis there I, for her, except for the very, very end where the kid's like, okay, now I learned not to be a shit bag to you. Um, I, but I really do feel like, I really do feel like the movie kind of went off the rails yeah. when they went to 2018. Like, yeah. it, it, I was like so in it. And then they would go to 2018 and then Mark Ruffalo gets involved. And it's like, you're introducing a whole separate set of characters and plot line. Mm-hmm. And then this ridiculous, like over the top CG ending uh, that just like, I don't believe any of that is actually real or practical. I was very disappointed by the end because I, I actually thought the movie had really good momentum until that point. I thought it so. was a great idea that, okay, you and me, me and me need to go back and get our dad yeah. who we haven't seen. Like that's, that's great. I mean, that's back to the future level, like, sure. you know, symmetry, you know, you, you, and also wish fulfillment. You go, Hey, wouldn't it be great to go back and see it, see your dad both as an adult and he's sort of contemporary age with you and also as a kid who hasn't seen his dad. Like that's right. That's, a, that's an awesome place to take this movie. But I agree with you that it kind of doesn't know what to do with itself at that point. And yeah. Mm-hmm. None of that. I mean, there's some fun stuff like Mark Ruffalo, you know, him, him punching him in the face and all that. stuff. There's some fun stuff with that, those interactions, but I do feel like the movie the movie's not great. I just had fun. I just had a, enough fun that I feel like the criticisms are a little too intense. I thought the ending with Mark Ruffalo kind of giving Ryan Reynolds that speech was absolutely bizarre because <laughs> he's addressing just Ryan Reynolds. Like yeah. he's not addressing younger version yeah. of Adam. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, I was like, did they shoot this scene with just Ryan Reynolds? And they're like, we got to get the kid in there somehow. Like <laughs> it just made no sense because they're both the same person. You right. Know? Yeah. It was just really weird. I agree with you. They didn't really pay that off. Although it is, it is just really kind of. Uh, there's this moment when he's playing catch with them, and then they're gone. Yeah. Right. That, that was interesting. That was awesome. That, that's I mean, that, that, a, that that's a beautiful moment. Catch right. Together. Oh, yeah. beautiful. Mm-hmm. I thought. It's about. It's a beautiful moment because it's like what it's saying is you're going to be playing catch with your kids, and then one day it's going to be over. Like mm-hmm. it's going to be over before you even thought it. Did began. this movie explain like why he was still dead at the end? Like what? Um, I don't think they did anything to prevent him from dying. Yeah, yeah. And did um, wasn't the I, thing, I don't think the time stuff really makes any sense in the movie. Wasn't I, I not Sorian the one involved with him getting killed? I thought. <laughs> like I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't are know are you guys? Are you guys okay with what? Okay, well, we'll skip that because apparently that was a miss in the movie. You guys are okay with what Walker Scoble inflicted on us, which is essentially. Uh, Imagine all the ticks of Ryan Reynolds, right? But scaled <laughs> yeah. down to ten year old. It's which true. It's true. Makes that him Ryan the most Reynolds... insufferable human being. <laughs> well, alive. but that's the whole point. Like the movie says, he's insufferable. He gets his yes. shit kicked out of him every day. Yeah. Because... Uh, so, Devendra, I agree that Ryan Reynolds compressed to a ten year old child. Yeah. would be incredibly annoying, and it this feel, movie demonstrates it feels that. the most artificial thing. Like, but yes, of course, that would be insufferable. That. He doesn't feel like a child. He doesn't feel like an actual 10-year-old is what I yeah, the, the And the problem with the movie, right, is there is a really interesting – like, it is bold to make your child that aggressively unlikable. Right? Like, that is a bold <laughs> yeah. decision to make. And and it's like I could see a movie can, where Can they, you sound a little more whiny? Please? Yeah, where they, they make this kid like a complete piece of shit and then it brings you around on the kid by the end. The sure. problem is that the, kid is the not movie a piece keeps of shit. introducing – <laughs> What'd you say? The kid is not a piece of shit. I'm not saying the actor is. I'm saying the the, the character is. <laughs> and yeah, he mistreats his mom. He like treats he, her he's so He's being poorly. really, really shitty to it's his mom. It's very bad. Yeah. And and so there is a there is a version of this where the child learns like 
to be a better person by the end of the movie, yes. which he does. Yeah. But feels like we just completely fast forwarded through that arc because you got to introduce Ryan. Like it's Ryan Reynolds that has the big moment at the end. Mm-hmm. It's right, you know, and there's this big CG laden action scene at the end, and it's just like yeah. it feels like his story. Yeah. The actor, uh, sorry, um, young Adam, played by uh, Walker Scoble, like it gets completely lost. You, you could just imagine. I, yeah. I'm imagining like Ryan Reynolds being like, uh, "Kid, you, you don't need to be here for that big climactic, uh, <laughs> heartfelt scene. It's uh, it's all me, baby. It's all me." He's just all screaming, right. "Not snarky enough!" From off the yeah, gigs. Exactly. <laughs> here's anyway. here's my only point. Yes. The idea What's your only that point? you guys would have these issues with this movie and not issues with Flight of the Navigator is laughable to me. Dude, I didn't see Fly the Navigator in 2022 well, that's after my seeing point. all these movies. Like, if I was 11, like like I was saying, kids these days, uh, they're spoiled because they have some of the best like science fiction. This stuff rules the world now. So yeah, they have access to all the best stuff around. I'm sure I would have problems with Fly the Navigator if I saw it now, but uh, it's very different. It's not a movie that was made now, and uh, the, co- the context of it is completely different. Okay. All right, folks. Well, at the end of the day, it's pretty impressive that Sean Levy made a movie, right? For a mere $175 million. Yeah. I think it's pretty impressive all these people got paid a lot of money, probably. Well, like, that, think, that's the really impressive part here. One of the reasons I think it's interesting to talk about this movie, too, is like, is this the future of movies? Yeah. That, that is a question I ask myself every time I watch a movie like this. Where yeah, that's what you said big, about but, yeah, uh, Red, Red Notice, Notice, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a big budget movie. Mm-hmm. It is seen by tens of millions of people and it leaves absolutely zero cultural footprint whatsoever. It is a right? black hole because it is constructed <laughs> by the culture that came before it. Like Red Notice itself is a movie is like you know, like The Rock? You know, like Ryan Reynolds? You know, like yeah. doing shit? You, know, you like Calca Dote? Like put them all together in a movie that's not fast and furious? Like the 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 thing that is hilarious to me is that this feels like Ryan Reynolds like used all his clouds like I want to make a goddamn MCU movie. And if they're not putting Deadpool there, I'm going to make my own. I'm just going <laughs> to lift all the aspects of the MCU and put it into one thing that'll be my thing. And then he gets the call. Deadpool's in the MCU now, buddy. It's like, oh, cool. That's cool. Uh, this feels like a response <laughs> to not actually being in the MCU proper. Mm. Well, Sean Levy's going to be directing Deadpool 3. So, And who knows how that's going to tie into the MCU. We'll see. Um, but I think they it's did confirm they did confirm it will like uh, that was oh, the, yeah, yeah. the discussion. Yeah, I think it's fascinating to reflect on, and if this is the future of movies, it is both a dark one and also not bad, indeed. <laughs> right? It is both incredibly depressing and just fine, dude. I guarantee um, you. I don't, I don't want to harp on the I, same I thing. I don't know what I, that comparison. I'm like, just saying. Yeah. I guarantee you that 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 Roger Ebert. In 1987 or whatever, was like, if batteries not included is the future of movies, we're fucked. You know, and and like what about batteries included would justify that to you? Like I I have laid out, I I've sketched out <laughs> everything that this movie is doing wrong. You know what? You know what's great about batteries not included? It's actually it's about something. Like that is a movie that's about like this scourge of gentrification. And like it it is like it is a weird movie of cute little aliens, but it's like doing things and like talking about people that weren't really ever really featured in movies too. Like go back and rewatch that. That's not a B grade movie. I think that one is genuinely good. Um, those movies, like I was saying, like in the eighties, sure. They weren't all star Wars, but I think they 
a lot of them try to do new things. That flight of the navigator ship, the aliens on that ship, like it was all distinct. It was all like pure world building. There's something I, I remember to this day. Um, maybe not a great movie overall, but it, it, it like did its own thing in a way that felt uh, unique and distinct at the time. So I don't know. I, listen, all right. I'm not enjoying having to defend this movie. <laughs> Apparently. I mean, I, I don't just know. think that it, it, you know, it, it's not uh, the death knell of cinema and it, but it is also, it, it's just kind of a, it's a light, you know, kind of goofy diversion sure. that I'm, I'm glad i'm glad you found it light jeff I, I i explained to you in painstaking detail why <laughs> i think it is kind of like a death knell of culture and that's all that's all <laughs> you think it's a light fun time yeah. devendra thinks that you uh, you know is a harbinger of the end of all things that we know and love exactly um, so and we, clearly we can have those be a middle ground. We can and have those opinions. The, the middle ground is David Chip. D- Dave <laughs> thinks it's a light, fun harbinger of the death knell. Yes, exactly. Sure. All right, folks. Gotcha. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of The Filmcast. Find more episodes at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Check out his new project, Varsity Blue. Our weekly plugs bumper music comes from Noah Ross. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Next week, as I've already mentioned, we're going to be discussing After Yang and also Koganada on the After Dark. This week on the After Dark at patreon.com. Columbus on the After Dark. Oh, sorry. What did I say? You said Koganada. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, Get the one word titles confused. Um, But yes, Columbus is going to be the After Dark review. This week on the After Dark, we'll be discussing a bunch of random topics, plus diving into spoilers for Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. So check that out as well. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GC became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose.